you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Not Brand Ech, Episode 1. This is a period of Not Brand Ech from 1967 to 1968, and I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm Greg Russell, your Not Brand Ech co-host. Not Brand Ech is just kind of an odd title to just have to say out loud, hey? It's like, do you go just Ech, or do you really put an Ech into it? <laughs> I like the uh, one with emotion. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And uh, this this comic is full of emotion. It's just we don't know what kind of emotion it's full of. <laughs> yeah, they go for everything. Now, uh, this is your first time on the show, Greg. What's your history with comics in general? Uh, I uh, am a, kind of an aspiring comic book artist. I produced my own underground comic book zine here in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Inks. And I have um, uh, illustrated for books and magazines. Uh, is there a website we can find you at, Greg? Yes, you can find uh, my work at gregrussell.us, G-R-E-G-R-U-S-S-E-L-L.us. Great. I started reading comics when I was uh, a young kid. When I was uh, out of school, sick with uh, cold or the flu, my dad would bring me stacks of comics. And that's how I got into Marvel and DC. And uh, unfortunately, I missed the Not Brand Eck. Uh, I was a little too young for that. Okay, well, Marvel has been including these these chapters in various compilations, like in their Marvel Masterworks and in, in uh, the Epic Collections, just as backups. But they recently released a full collection of all 13, and well, now 14, because there's a, a more recent issue as well, all 14 issues. And it's it's great, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, and the interesting thing about this title is that when I talk to people about it, with I think the sole exception being you, Greg, uh, everybody <laughs> seems to not like them. Whenever they come up in, as, as bonus features, people are like, yeah, I, I never read that, or it's just not funny, it's not my thing. Uh, but you, when I when I mentioned, like you reached out to me and said, I really like Not Brandeck, I hope that you I, do a whole episode on them. And I'm like, yeah, that's, right. that's actually a pretty good idea. And then I asked you, do you want to do it with me? Because there's literally nobody else that I know that would want to do an episode with me about this. <laughs> well, what I, what I liked about it was, um, well, it's, it's just seeing the Marvel artists and writers stretch out and do something for fun, you know, just for the fun of it appears. And um, they were apparently trying to copy Mad Magazine and everything that was happening back then. And it's an excellent snapshot of uh, culture at the time, I believe. Not just Marvel culture. It really is. Yeah, I think you really do have to know a lot about 1960s culture in order to fully understand and fully appreciate this book. Now, I don't because I was not alive during the 60s. So I had to do a lot of Googling to understand a lot of these gags. And so I think what I would really like to do with this episode is really go 
page by page and unpack what life was like in the 60s. Let's get through all of the cultural references and all of the Marvel references as well, because there's a lot of that as well. Um, but really understand what the, what the gags were that they were going for, because I think that's a lot of the problem with these comics now is that they are very dated. The humor and the jokes, the references, they are all stuff that a lot of people don't understand. And it will give you a better appreciation if you do understand what these jokes are. Absolutely. So for all of you listening, uh, if you're giving this episode a try and you have not read any episode of Not Brand Ech, I would recommend getting your hands on them. We're going to go, we're only going to talk about the first three issues. And so uh, maybe find the issues or find the epic collections or the masterworks where these stories are, are contained. Not all of them have been reprinted. So a lot of these are reprinted for the first time in this collection. Uh, but you can find some of them, or you can look on Marvel Unlimited. All of the not brand ec, uh, issues are on not are on Marvel Unlimited. So do that. Have it open, uh, or have the book open, or have the the app open while we're talking. Because it, when you go page by page, like we're going to do, it'll be a really really good experience to be able to see what we're talking about. Okay, so a little bit of a history, just kind of bringing us up to speed. Why does this comic exist in the first place? Now, I didn't really look up what Marvel's reasons were for making this comic. I'm going to assume, and I think you you assume the same thing. You mentioned this before, that this is a Mad Magazine type of a book. Mad, Mad was really popular in the 60s. Huge. It was so big. Of course, people are going to try and capitalize on that, and Marvel's going to do the same thing. But but this really, to understand the style of humor, I think it's good to go way back, even 60 years before this, back to the turn of the century, because the, the, the Library of American Comics just put out a fantastic book called Screwball, which is a look at screwball-type comic books or comic strips in the early 1900s. And the term screwball is something that comes from the film industry. It's like a screwball comedy is just a kind of a zany comedy where things just kind of happen. The The pacing is quick. The dialogue is snappy. And it's just really funny. And so the author of that book, Paul Toomey, has co-opted that term screwball to refer to the same type of comic strip where it's a very nutty kind of feel. And back then, the comic strip artists felt that they needed to put in and cram in as many gags into uh, into one comic strip as they could in order for the reader to get their money's worth. And and this was back when comic strips were, they took up a full page in the newspaper. It's not like today where they're shrunk down so small and you try to fit 15 on one page. No, you get one comic strip per page. And so the ones that were action adventure were totally crammed with action adventure for the entire page. And the ones that were fantasy, um, especially thinking of ones like Flash Gordon, which is action adventure fantasy, uh, or ones that were like Little Nemo in Slumberland. Like there is so much detail. But when you have the ones that were comedy, they would put all these little tiny gags in the backgrounds and put little signs in, on the walls and, and the, the, the gags would just be so full. Um, I love Polly and her pals. Have you ever seen that strip, Greg? I don't recall that one, no. It's by a guy named Cliff Sterrett, and it's got a very, very offbeat humor, uh, very um, very experimental and expressionist kind of artwork, and there's just tons of gags in there. Lots of fun. Uh, stuff by George Harriman is also the same way. If you look at Crazy Cat, 
I'm sure you're, are you familiar with Crazy Cat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that stuff, really, really, really uh, zany as well. And if you just look at the stuff in the background, Harriman always has little little gags, little birds doing funny things or stuff happening in the background. And as time went on, that just kept on kept on becoming kind of the norm for these comedic strips. And eventually comic books came into play. And when Mad Magazine came out, it started as a comic book, right? That's right. And those stories, it was very similar to Not Brand Eck before it reinvented itself as a magazine. Mm-hmm. So this 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 book right here is sort of a logical evolution of of comedy comics that have been happening over the the first sixty years of the twentieth century. Those um, turn of the century comic strip artists uh, definitely influenced and inspired these um, comic book artists sixty years later. Oh, absolutely, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> and the same was said said for. Um, for cartoons at the time, if you look at the classic like Mickey Mouse cartoons or the stuff by the Fleischer cartoons from the from the 30s, mm-hmm. those zany ones also they did the same thing. They crammed as many jokes and as many gags into the backgrounds and into the into the characters as as they could because they really wanted to, if it was going to be funny, it needs to be like nonstop funny. And that's what this comic is: it's nonstop funny. Exactly. What do you think are some of the reasons why people don't like? Uh, don't like not brand eh. Uh I guess that's uh, what you mentioned is the biggest reason because it is uh, so timely for that time period. But uh, if you don't know anything about the late 60s, it's hard to understand. And it's corny. It's screwball. Yep. Corny jokes. It's not like uh, modern current day humor. That's true. The humor is quite different than what you would see. And it's in this book, especially when you look at the very last issue, issue 14, which was made just a couple yep. of years ago. It's very, very different than the 60s humor. And I think that does have something to do with it. Um, humor in general is just really hard to do on the printed page, I think. Mm-hmm. When you are in a movie theater and something's funny, everybody's laughing and the laughter is contagious. When you are at home watching a funny thing, I don't think that you laugh as much. It still might be funny, but it doesn't make you laugh out loud. You, you reserve that. It, it, it comes out when you're in a group of people. Right. And so when you're reading by yourself uh, and you read these jokes, especially when you can read them at your own pace and you're not tied to the specific timing of, of a live performance or a comedian, it, it might just not come out as, as, as funny or as funny or, you know, the right kind of funny. Uh, inflection has a lot to do with it. The way you specifically read a gag may not be the way that the writer um, has intended it to be. Whereas if you're reading an action adventure, that's not as big of a deal. But for comedy, it's everything. That's true. And uh, also I noticed uh, reading this, it's very much Jewish comedy. Oh, yeah. Uh, this there is, is just a 20, lot of that. Just 20 years after World War II, so there's a lot of uh, uh, World War II jokes and Nazi jokes. And you know, pretty much all the creators, writers and artists at that time, were Jewish. You know, yep, yep. Stanley, Jack Kirby. And there's... Uh, I was listening to a um, Mark Maron's podcast with uh, John Goodman, and they were talking about Mad Magazine. And Maron said, uh, you know, that really taught me a lot about, um, you know, culture back then hmm. as a kid. And uh, John Goodman said, well, you know what it taught me? 
it, it taught me about Judaism because <laughs> <laughs> he went out and you know looked up all these uh, Yiddish words and to figure out what they meant. And I see a lot of that here. Yep, there is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some very obscure Jewish jokes, and um, I, I've made note of a bunch of them that will that I'll definitely point out because uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Not only is this a snapshot of the '60s. But it is a snapshot of these creators' lives and what they have faced and and what they sure. went through and what they are currently feeling. So sure. really, really cool. A lot of them uh, had already been in the business uh, 30 or 40 years and lived through World War II. Right. So uh, they're, they're already well-established artists who had been drawing for um, Timely Comics and lots of others before this. The other thing to keep in mind that this is the uh, civil rights era. And there are just so many, uh, so many signs, <laughs> people holding up picket signs. And if you're, you're like, well, why are there so many people with picket signs? It's because there were protests happening all the time about different exactly. things. And so this, these comics reflect that because there's always someone protesting something in pretty much every single panel of this, <laughs> of this, right. these comics. Through the middle of the Vietnam War, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that, and. Uh, you'll notice the the hairstyles and the music choices at oh, all. Yeah, it's not like now where you can just post a meme and you know don't bother to pick up a picket sign and go to the <laughs> right. Yeah, well, it, it's kind of like these comics are just a series of memes. Yeah. on the printed page. I mean, that's just exactly what it is. It's it's humorous commentary on social issues of the, of the day. A lot of it. Sure. I think we can get into this book. What do you think? I'm ready. I looked it up. The Marble Earth, which is the Earth that these characters take, uh, that these characters live in, is Earth six six five. If anybody's interested, and if anybody wants to know, <laughs> so it's part of the multiverse. It, it it definitely is, and I don't know if there's any crossovers. Uh, I hope this that would be awesome to see some of these characters crossover. Okay, so issue number one, the, it's broken into I think four different stories, and the first one is called the Silver Burper. This whole story is written by Stan Lee and drawn by Jack Kirby, and uh, and it's so cool to see Kirby, yeah, uh, in a, doing a comedic style is something that you don't see normally. In fact, most of these artists, it's really cool to see them uh, just yeah do something funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Kirby does it very well. He does. This one is a parody of Fantastic Four number fifty-seven. If anyone's paying attention to that as well, uh, and it features other characters in the Marble Earth, uh, like the Fantastical Four, and what are the characters' names here? We have Weed Witchards, the Thung, the Human Scorch, and the Inevitable Girl. And they say uh, the Thung's real name is Bim Grim, and Inevitable Girl's real name is Shrewstorm. I don't know <laughs> if they say Johnny's uh, a marble name at all. And then there's also Doctor Bloom. And I'm sure you can figure out who we're talking about through all of these ones. <laughs> yes. Uh, so do you want to go from, just from the first page, page is number one in, in the story, but it's page eight in the Not Brand Eck Complete Collection. Um, do you have the Complete Collection? Is that what you're looking through right now? That's right, yeah. Okay, perfect. Then we'll be on the same page. Uh, why don't we just uh, go ahead and we can just take turns saying any gags that we mention until we run out of things to say about the page, and then we can move on. Okay, sure. What do you want to say about page eight? Well, um, on the splash page, Weed Richards is making some kind of uh, concoction to turn the thing back to human form. And um, 
Let's see. I believe they say uh, far out somewhere. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah in the in the right beside, featuring the far yeah. out fiendishness of Doctor <laughs> yeah. Bloom. So that was a common slang phrase back then. Uh, Weed Richards has kind of a beanie cap with a propeller on top. Yeah. In his contraption. They those show up so much in this yeah, comic. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, who would know what that is? <laughs> Yeah, but is it one of the things that they do in order to just make the characters look funny is they'll put a little propeller on their head. It makes you makes them look like a kid. Yeah, just make it silly, right? Yep. Or they'll uh, make it so that their their shirt doesn't tuck in properly, or there's threads hanging off of their costume, or their their oh, toe is exposed in their boot or something. That's right. Yeah, just little little visual gags to let you know that this is not uh, a serious book yeah. at all. Right. And they mentioned Millie the model. Who, uh, oh, uh, where is that? At the very bottom, on the arrow pointing oh, yeah. to the next. So uh, <laughs> they mentioned Millie the model a lot in this book. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you probably wouldn't know who it was if uh, you weren't watching uh, Jessica Jones on Netflix. Isn't she mentioned in that? Uh, no, I don't. I don't remember. I mean, if it is, it's just in passing. Um, she might, yeah. but yeah, Patsy Walker and or yeah. Trish, Trish Walker in that show and Millie the model they had their own romance or right. comedy books of their own at the time, uh, and they were very very popular. I think uh, both of those characters had issues that went. They had first of all they had multiple titles. It was like Millie the model and models with Millie and fashion with Millie and. Millie, whatever. Like, there's there's a ton of those books, and a bunch of them like even hit the 100 issue mark. Very, very surprising yeah. for that Huge. style. But that that was big in the time, and right around the 60s here, that stuff was starting to decline. And I think uh, they were starting to um, cancel those books and replace them with other superhero books slowly, one at a time. And so there is an in joke, even in like Stan's soapbox and the the bullpen bits and the letter pages. They kind of poke fun at Millie the model because it it's hanging on at this time. <laughs> uh, and they're like, you know, we we recognize that you don't really care about Millie and that our best sellers are the superhero stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> they they kind of point that out throughout this book uh, and all over the place during the sixties. Did Jack Kirby draw some of those? Uh, I don't know if he did. Uh, he might have uh, because yeah. he was kind of doing a lot of that stuff. I know that he did some of the romance stuff in the Golden Age. Um, That's right. Because I've seen some of that stuff being collected in some of the, the Kirby books that have been released recently. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I had seen some of the romance stuff. Another one of the, the gags here is that Reed is holding Johnny down with an asbestos glove. <laughs> and that is a, a funny gag. If you read through the Fantastic Four in the 60s or the Strange Tales Human Torch stories in the 60s, Human Torch is always being thwarted by something made of asbestos. Someone throws an asbestos sheet or ties him with an asbestos rope or throws asbestos powder on him or, you know, it's like, you can't hurt me because my wings are made of asbestos. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a common uh, plot device <laughs> for Human Torch stories at the time. Right. And I've noticed that um, in the series, they do point out some of the silliness of some of the powers and how easy they are to defeat if yeah. someone uses common sense. I love it. They have a good sense of humor to just make fun of themselves and yes. they make fun of other com- comic companies as well. In fact, we should talk about the title of this, the whole book. Nodbrand Eck right. is also poking fun at DC Comics. That's right. Um, and I think I don't know. I don't know if they still do this today. But advertising back in the '60s, if you had like a laundry detergent, 
you would show your laundry detergent, and then you would show it up against not uh, you would show it up against brand X. And so that was is always the competitor was always known as brand X. And so this is not brand X is making <laughs> fun of brand X, which for Marvel they always referred to DC as brand X as well. Right. Um, let's see here. So let's move on to page number two in the story, page number nine in the collection. I, I like the way they um, take uh, Wee Richard's powers to the extreme, having him form a uh, fire hydrant and just a, uh, a sheet of plastic. Yeah. Uh, there's a reference to Smokey the Bear, who was mm-hmm. also a popular kind of an, uh, an icon at this time. Only you can prevent forest fires. And most people know his slogan uh, and he's persisted through the years, but he was kind mm-hmm. of at the height of his popularity through the 60s. That's right. He had comic books as well from Dell. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. There's not a whole lot in this page uh, in in terms of cultural references. No, um, I don't see it here. The Hulk makes a, makes a gag, a gag appearance, uh, because Reed tries to turn the thing back to Ben, or the thung back to Bim, but right. instead turns him into the inedible bulk. Yeah, they have a lot of fun with that. They do. Yeah, he turns into a few different things. Right. But let's go on to page 10 because there's a lot of here that I want to, or a few things here that I want to mention. Mm-hmm. On page 10, the Silver Surfer uses his surfboard as a pogo stick. <laughs> yeah. Pogo sticks were pretty big in the 60s. That's true. That's true. Yeah, they they were a, a, a popular toy and a lot of people kind of using them. I don't know when they were invented. I didn't look that up, but they sure uh, seem to gain in popularity in the 60s. I think so. That's right. Do you know the creature that's on Dr. Doom's wall in the second to last panel on this page? No, I don't recognize that. Artie. Artie, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Artie, Artie Simic is is a letterer mm-hmm. for Marvel at this time, so I think that that's an in joke calling this guy. They they always poke fun at the letterer. They in, do in the credits in the '60s, and so just saying that he's an ugly head on the wall is kind of funny <laughs> well, as well. Okay, um, but I think that this creature might be a parody of the Mangog. Oh, okay. Because he's got that similar the similar kind of the teeth and the horns. I think as right. but he's he's very hairy. So it's not exactly the same, but looks like it could be. Mangog would have been right around this time, I think, in the Thor comics. That makes sense. Uh, Bloom's on his shirt. They are constantly changing the text on his shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It says Evil Eye on another page. It says All the Way with JJJ. (laughs) They take every opportunity to uh, put some kind of joke on his chest. Right. Uh, and also um, on his armor, in the last panel on this page, is written Acme Tin. <laughs> yes. And Acme is always a, a joke. I think that comes from the Looney Tunes days. I think the, so. The uh, the coyote would always order Acme products in order to try and capture the the the, the Roadrunner, but they would always fall apart or not work the way you want them <laughs> to. So, to put Acme on Doctor Doom's armor is like a joke of uh, you know <laughs> this armor is not any good. It's going to fall apart. That's right. Yeah, they must shop at the same place. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in the fifth panel on this page, there's a torture chamber, and it's written on there, Patsy Walker. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think that's a little gag. It's like reading a Patsy Walker comic is like torture. <laughs> <It's> torture. <Okay. laughs> They're really good at self-depreciating humor. Yep, there. yep, I'm... totally. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next page, page 11. All right. Um, the thing that I can see first is that um, in the second panel, Silver Surfer's wearing a German iron cross. Oh, right. And that's both a reference to World War II, but it's also a reference to surfer culture at this time. 
hmm. because the surfer culture had co-opted the Iron Cross as kind of their own symbol. This was also an age of um, counterculturalism and anti-establishment, and so a lot of teens or young adults kind of purposely did things to piss off the older generation. And using a World War II Nazi symbol as their own symbol was definitely a sign of, of you know, rebellionism. Right. I never thought of that. I remember seeing the uh, German crosses on, uh, like, hot rod illustrations at yep. the time. Yep, yeah. the, yep, the bikers also took that up. And uh, yeah. I think there's another joke where that happens later on uh, in this issue somewhere. I can't remember. I'll point it out if I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, there's also a reference to, let me see if I can find it here. Uh, on the last panel, Dr. Doom says, uh, Dr. Doom, def- or Dr. Bloom, I have to use their marble Dr. names. <laughs> Dr. Bloom defeats the Silver Burper, and he says, I did it, I did it. This will be my greatest triumph since I invented the Edsel. <laughs> yes. Do you know what the Edsel is? Yeah, one of the first cars. Yeah, and not only that, it was actually a huge flop. The Edsel was a right. Ford vehicle <laughs> from 1958 to 1960, and they went all out in their advertising. They spent so much. It was the biggest advertising campaign for a motor vehicle at the time, Is that right? and no one cared. The, the car bombed. No one, like very <laughs> few people bought it. They had to cancel the production, and it was just a huge, huge flop. So they make reference to Edsel's a few times in this book, and it's always to the juxtaposition between triumph and failure. See. Yeah. (laughs) There's also the sound effect foom on this page. Do you know what foom means? Uh, What was that? Friends of Old Marvel? Yeah, Friends of Old Marvel. It was kind of their first first fan club at the time. I think this was right around the time when they were also starting the Merry Marvel Marching Society. So they do mention that a lot. They yeah. do, yep. That, that comes up. Oh, yeah, page 12. Now, you mentioned this already, all the way with JJJ. That's yeah. a cultural reference of the time. Um, it is? Yeah. Oh, what does that refer to? J. Jonah Jameson, of course, right? Yeah. No? Well, Lyndon Johnson's campaign slogan uh, at the time was LBJ. all the way with LBJ. Uh-huh. And he was president then. That's right. Yep. And so there's a lot of uh, presidential little jabs here and there um, throughout this book as well. All the way with J- L- LBJ is uh, is kind of the first of many <laughs> that we'll see here. You do see a lot of uh, campaign slogans. Yep. Right? Totally. And he, 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 Dr. Doom, or Bloom, actually uses the word Shazam. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Their first uh, poke at DC, I guess. Well, actually, at the time, Shazam wasn't with DC. He was still with Fawcett Comics. Right. So it's a, it's a poke at Fawcett. And they're, they are not just poking at DC through this book. They poke at a, a lot of different comic book companies. Yes, you see a lot of uh, Peanuts characters and Pogo and yep. all of them. I think the last cultural reference I want to make on this page is uh, just that Silver Burper says, Take it easy, fellas. I've just been Simonized. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Simonized car wash or car polish still right. exists today. Uh, you can still find it on the, on the shelves. Okay. You want to move on to number 13? Yeah, sure. Let's see. Um, I believe they mentioned Mandarin fortune cookies. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and in fact, the, uh, I think the thing turns into Mandarin's face on the right, third panel of this page. He says he forgot his fortune cookies. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what you were referring to. That's right. Right. Um, yeah, he turns into a bunch of things. He turns into the Hulk. He turns into a Skrull, the Mandarin, oh. uh, Thor, Doctor Doom, and then on the very last page, he turns into <laughs> Aunt May. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Um, it, it's interesting the way they treat women throughout this. Yeah. Uh, they're <laughs> pretty useless and only interested in dating. It seems like and cleaning and cooking. That's <laughs> and that's fairly indicative of how Stan mm-hmm. treats women, even in the normal comics as well. Yeah. That's right. There is a uh, when, when they join when when Giant Man and, and Wasp are on the Avengers in those early issues. Oh yeah. Even though Wasp is a founding member. They treat her like a sidekick. He even refer to her, to her as a sidekick. Really, I remember I heard you mention in a uh, Avengers podcast that um, they rotated uh, like chairmanship yep. to lead the Avengers, and she wasn't. She never got a chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still quite a quite a far time into their actual book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there's also a reference to an Erector set on page 13 here. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, the Erector's the Erector set was a very popular toy. Uh, oh yeah, it's on the the on read on Weed Richards' fantastic car that he's riding in the oh, first right, panel right. there. Erecto set. It was a popular toy where you kind of build your own machines and you have pulleys and levers and all that. Erector sets were very popular in the 60s. Right, I'd completely forgotten about that. There's also a reference to Nero in the fourth panel. Dr. Bloom says, I haven't been this happy since the day I gave Nero his first pack of matches. <laughs> Burn down Rome. Yep, you have to know your history, your your right. ancient Rome history there. And there's also a reference to Tutti Frutti. My favorite flavor is Tutti Frutti. Right. And that's, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it's a reference to Little Richard. Because he had so. a very popular song in 1955, which I'm sure people were well aware of uh, mm-hmm. at this time. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff here. When uh, Doctor Doom calls the Silver Blurper's surfboard, he calls Chloe. Yeah, is that a reference to anything specific? I don't get it. No. <laughs> yeah, I tried looking that up, and I mean, there's only so much you can do. Google Chloe 1967 right. or whatever, but <laughs> yes. um, I don't know if there was a specific person or a song or something that that referenced that. So that was a. I'm sure it's something, but it's lost yeah. to time <laughs> for us. Exactly. And I like the way Jack Kirby draws uh, Weed Richard's jaw stretching as he's yelling at Dr. Bloom. Yes. Yeah, some Dr. great humor there. Finger to close his mouth. <laughs> and the other thing is that the, the emblem, the four emblem on the Fantastic, or in the Fantastical Four's costumes is always changing, just like Dr. Doom's shirt. That's right. Never a missed chance for a pun. Um, I don't think I have anything else for this page. We can go on to the very last page of the book mm-hmm. here. Dr. Bloom has a shirt that says, Yay, Yancey! Yes. (laughs) Reference to Yancey Street, of course. Yeah. Which hopefully all of you Fantastic Four comic people know about. How could you not? That's right. I like uh, Sue's uh, emblem that says, For Sale. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then Reed says, For as in F-O-R-E, like you call out when you're playing (laughs) golf. Exactly. Not bad puns. One of the best gags here is at the very end... Thung has been going through transformations, and he finally transforms into something that Doctor Doom can't stand. He he looks at the face and it's just horrible. He can't <laughs> stand it. It's too awful. He runs away, and we find out that the thing has turned into Doctor Doom's face. Right. And so that's a gag because Doctor Doom hates the look of his own face. Is why he wears a mask. Right. Pretty clever ending. Yep, it's good. It's good. That and that wraps up our very first segment of issue number one. And we're already 40 minutes into our podcast, so we are going to, like, this is, I'm serious, we're going to spend a lot of time on these issues. We may not even get through all three of the issues that I want to uh, before I think we should stop it and our podcast becomes too long. So <laughs> we'll get get through what we can. 
But let's move on to the next story. This one I don't think has been reprinted in, or maybe it has in a masterworks because it deals with Marvel's Western titles. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like the the fashion model titles that we were talking about earlier, Marvel has this whole side to them in the 1960s that people don't talk about anymore because people, for some reason, I just they don't care about westerns. True. Um, whenever Marvel has tried to revive these characters, they just don't sell. And any attempts to reprint them doesn't seem to go well. Westerns is definitely a thing that was huge popular through the 50s and 60s. Like the TV shows of the time um, and and the comics, there's just, there's so much of it. And uh, so, okay, here, what are, this is the two gone kid in the fastest gums in the West. And uh, this is actually a parody, and they say this at the end, this is a parody of a comic, uh, Two Gun Kid number 89, which I think was coming out next month at the time. People hadn't oh, read it yet. That's interesting that they did it in advance. Yeah, and this comic was notable because it's the first time that all three of their Western characters met up for one story. <laughs> I used to read those, but uh, they were all kind of interchangeable. Yeah. I, I had a hard time telling them apart. That's true, and and I think the same case here that they're really just kind of bland characters. But mm-hmm. we we have the Two Gun Kid, who is a parody of the Two Gun Kid, and let's see, what are the names of the other ones? Uh, kid Cold. Kid Cold. Right. Yep. And um, the Rawhead Kid oh, instead I, of the oh, Rawhide yeah. Kid. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's written by um, Roy Thomas. Yeah. And drawn by Marie Severn. And she does a great job with her comedy. I I think yeah. she's just a fantastic artist. And some of my favorite stories in this book are the ones that she draws. And she puts a lot of gags into the backgrounds of her work. She does. Uh, on page sixteen, on the first page here, they there's a there's a little sign in the in the first panel on the bottom left that says mm-hmm. Shane, come back, Shane, and that that's a, a running gag throughout this issue. There's signs that always are talking about come back, Shane. And that's because there is a movie uh, called Shane back in 1953. And one of the most famous scenes in that movie, uh, have you seen that movie? It's fantastic. That's been a long time since I've seen it. It's one of the best Westerns out there. I really, really love it. Um, It's right up there with Searchers, John Wayne's Searchers. It's really good. Um, So one of the most memorable scenes is at the end when Shane rides off into the sunset. And he's left a little boy that he's been with for this movie saying, Shane, come back. Come back, (laughs) Shane. And he just kind of says it over and over as as it fades out. And so they're kind of poking fun at that because it was a very, very popular movie when it came out. Exactly. And here on the um, first page, they mention the Mighty Marvel Marching Society buttons. Yeah. uh, I wish I had some of those buttons. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there were something. Um, There is a number 13 on one of the horses. I think it's probably just an unlucky number. I'm sure. Right. And then there's suitcases that just have uh, kind of (laughs) all these different places. And and I think the gag there is that the Westerns, they never really went to locations. Right. So there's, I don't think you'd find Kid Colt with a <laughs> any and sort of Perry. London or Gay Perry kind of <laughs> no European stickers on it. That's right. Yeah. Um, you want to move on to page 17? Sure. Okay, there's page two in this story here. Uh, the first thing, of course, that, that I see is that we have a parodies of Mad Muddock, mm-hmm. which is Mad M- Matt Murdock. And uh, Prairie Mason, which is Perry Mason. <laughs> and then Mad Hog. And I wasn't sure what that was a parody of. Yeah, I didn't get that one. But those are, I'm sure they're all like lawyer characters, right? Because yeah. per- Perry right. Mason and Matt, Matt Murdock are both lawyers. So Mad That's Hog right. is probably a, a lawyer, a cult, pop culture lawyer of some sort. 
And Bum Bum, who is Bum Bum? The guy with the tall. Right. Uh, that could be, um, I wonder if that's a character from, I, yeah, why didn't I look that up? I thought I did. Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, he might be a character from one of these from one of these westerns. Um, yeah, maybe. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. He doesn't look familiar either. He's got the the Sandman shirt striped shirt on, <laughs> but I, yeah, it's not a it's not a Sandman parody. Right. Okay, so baddies wanted on the telephone booth. It says baddies want to call F. Lee bailout, and <laughs> that is a reference to uh, oh, what's his name? F. Lee Flea, Bailey. F. Lee Bailey. Yeah, who is a uh, also a lawyer. Right. Um, eventually, he'd go on to represent O.J. Simpson. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but of course, that didn't happen at this time. <laughs> and also, you can see in the when the, the sixth panel, there's all the way with LBJ, another one of his campaign oh, slogans. That's right. With a mushroom cloud. Yes, with a mushroom cloud. I guess I suggest he uh, bomb Vietnam. Yeah. I don't know. And if you look in the background of this same panel, you see a cactus with a cigar and an eye patch. Who do you think that's a reference to? <laughs> Nick Furious. <laughs> yeah. <I forgot. laughs> yep. uh, okay, in the third panel above this, I, we're going to jump in all over the page here, that this dumb, dumb guy is wearing a, a button that says AUH2O in 64. I don't get that. Well, this is an obscure reference. I Googled it to, to see. But AU is the scientific term for gold, ah, like the, the okay. element, the element gold. And, and H2O is water. So yeah. it really means gold water right, in 64. Yeah, he was running. He was a senator of Arizona at the time. Mm-hmm. And he ran against Lyndon Johnson in 1964. Right. Very good. They don't yeah. miss an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. Buttons and signs and uh, uh, badges everywhere. Yep. Uh, Kid Colt changes his outfit in a phone booth, which is ridiculous because you don't have phone <laughs> booths in the westerns. But it's also, of course, a, a little ding at uh, Superman. Right. So Mad Hog is the secret identity of Kid Colt. That's oh. that's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we that's see here, he right. says, "I'm not Mad uh, Mudock. I'm Mad Hog." And then he goes into the phone booth and changes into Kid Colt. Okay. So that's that's that. Okay, that's a little confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what else do we have here? Let's see. Um, on one of these signs here, uh, in in the fourth panel, it says Dylan Thomas, Bob Dylan, Matt Dylan, all mm-hmm. of these Dylans. These are all famous Dylans of the time. Right. Uh, Dylan Thomas was a poet. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan, of course, the musician. And then Matt Dylan. Everybody knows Matt Dylan today, but this is not the same Matt Dylan. Matt Dillon played was a was a character on Gunsmoke. He's the marshal played by James Arness. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's another reference to Bob Dylan on this page. <laughs> oh. Where did it go? Uh, in the bottom panel, there's a little sign that says Desolation Row, and that was one of Bob Dylan's songs in 1965. That's right. Yeah. I see, I see another Shane sign, too. Yes. It says, come back, Shane, please. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm ready to move on. Are you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Page number 18. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going into a lot more detail here. Than... <laughs> it's hard not to do. It's hard to not mention every little fun. Well, I love it. I actually had so much fun looking up these gags and, and yeah. just learning oh. about this stuff. It's fascinating Education. to me. That's yep. right. And I, I found this entire book to be a really slow read because you have to study each panel so closely. Yeah. What do you have to say about 18? Do you have anything here? I just have one comment. Uh, no, I don't have anything in particular. Okay. Uh, or actually a couple comments. So uh, okay. there is a there's a box that the Rawhide Kid 
the rawhead kid is standing on in the third panel, and it says, this is not EC. Yes. Reference to EC Comics, because they had their own line of... In fact, that's where... Did Mad start with EC? I can't remember. I believe it did, yeah. But they had their own line of humor stuff as well, and, and Westerns. Like, they had everything. They And I think they're most known for their horror these days. That's true. There is a reference to... Um, another, to, to Bonanza in this oh, yeah. issue. Where did that go? Um, I got to find it. Uh, in the first panel, Rawhead Kid, Rawhead Kid says, "You ever see Hoss Cartwright do that?" And That's Hoss Cartwright is a character on Bonanza. That's right. Yep. Now, whose head is that in the box in the first panel? I have no idea. <laughs> I was looking at that, and it's like it's got to be someone. It's so specific, mm-hmm. but I yeah. don't know whose head that it, is. Right. It's like a box bounced off the ground and opened up and there's a head inside. Yep. Okay, so I want to move on to number 19. Mm-hmm. What do you do you see anything here that you want to mention? Well, they bring in the original Ghost Rider, Ghostly Rider. Yes, the Ghostly Rider. Not a lot of people remember that Ghost Rider was not the flaming skull head when he first appeared to you. There was a western version of him first. That's right. And I think he's called something different now. Uh he's still around, really? but he, I think he's called the Phantom Rider now. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, and then it turns out that the ghostly rider is not actually the ghostly rider. It's a knight on a white ghost. And he says, Begone, dirt, I am stronger than thee. Do you know what this is a reference to? I do not. It's Ajax. Ajax uh, uh, cleaning uh, product because he they had a white knight as their mascot in the 60s. That's right. It's laundry detergent, actually, I think. Oh, yeah. And he says, then the character says in the next panel, the Hajax white knight. Hajax. 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 Okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, the Queen of Hearts makes a little cameo appearance in the third, in the fourth panel. Right. I'm not exactly sure why. Same, yeah, exactly. Saying off with her heads. Yeah. <laughs> and more Shane signs. As I think there's one on every page. Yeah, I think there is. Last chance to come back, Shane. <laughs> um, the kid Colt's ho- uh, horse is named Blunder, and that is a the real name is Thunder. The mm-hmm. his horse's name is Thunder. And there's a couple of other references I'm not sure of. A bot on Carnaby Street is what's written on a hat in the, mm, the second to last panel. Not sure what that is. Um, yeah. Otherwise, this was a pretty. This was an okay story. It it mm. was just like a. Um, there there wasn't really a story. They just kind of meet up and and do a three stooges kind of poke at each other the entire time. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. But the the funny part is all of the gags you see in the that's backgrounds. Right. They had one phrase I'd never heard. Uh, calling the gun a hog leg. Oh yeah. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, neither have I. Well, we can go on to the third story. It's the right. human scorch versus the sunk mariner in the battle of the century. This one is a specific reference or parody of Marvel Mystery Number no. 9, which I have not read, um, but I think it's been recently reprinted in a big Namor the Submariner timely collection, timely comics collection. Mm-hmm. So this is not the Fantastic Four Human Scorch. It is a reference to the Golden Age Human Torch, John Hammond. Mm-hmm. Marvel Mystery Number no. 9 was a Golden Age comic from Timely Comics. And so all of the references here are not 1960s references. They're actually 1930s references, or 1930s and 1940s. So it made looking into these gags, um, I think, even more fun than usual. Right. So we can start on page 20, the splash page. Uh, Do you have anything you want to say for here? Well, this one's written by, looks like, Roy Thomas, drawn by Ross Andrew and Bill Everett. Ross Andrew did a lot of uh, Spider-Man yeah. Will Everett, uh, did he uh, create Sunk Mariner? Yes. Yes, he did. Yeah. So he's still working on him <laughs> even even now. 
And it's fun seeing their water and fire powers pitted against each other. Yeah. Namor has a tattoo one in this first page here. It says, Miss Star-Kissed Tuna. <laughs> Star-Kissed is, was the brand of tuna at the time, but it's also making fun of the fact that he, he's a fish man. You know, he's a, he lives under the water, so he loves fish. <laughs> right. Page 21. If we go on page 21 here, we see a reference to the old-style lettering. If you oh, see in that right. on the on the first panel, the little caption in the bottom corner it says, "And if you think our hardworking letterer is going to letter any more panels in this nutty old style, you're out of your tree." <laughs> so you can see the difference between kind of the the tall and thin letters versus the next panel, which are the the smaller, regular, more standard looking comic panels. That's right. Yeah, they definitely did letter differently in the old days there in the golden age. And you see another uh, protest sign. Pollution was a big issue back then. Yep, definitely. Sign underwater says help stamp out water pollution. And the uh, the sunk mariner's real name is Prince No More. <laughs> and there's also a in the third panel, Namor says, "What the?" And that I know it's not yeah. a direct reference, but Marvel would eventually create in the '80s another humor mag in a similar style to this, but they call it "What the." <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, so you can see when the when Namor blasts the Human Torch with uh, with with air, his flame mm-hmm. goes out. This is definitely uh, this is definitely not Johnny Storm. He's a blonde-haired guy with his red costume. That's typical of what Hammond wore in right. uh, this era. Right, and he was uh, an android. Somewhere in here, he says, "I'm an android. How can I get old?" Right. And uh, there's a there's another political button in the last panel. It says, Win with Wilkie. This is a reference to Wendell Wilkie, mm-hmm. who was running in 1940. Uh, and there's also a reference to Blatman and Robert. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll star in the next issue. That's right. But under a different name, uh, names that they will forever be known as in the Marvel Universe. Right. Betty Bean is the character here, the woman here, and her real name is Betty Dean. She was a, a regular character in these issues, in the in the actual um, Submariner stories. Mm-hmm. The Human Torch was so easily defeated at this point with a blast of air, and he's in midair. Yep. And the Sunk Mariner points out, actually, you shouldn't be able to fly even with flame being heavier than air. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> little bit of scientific wisdom that you don't see in the comics. Yep, that's right. I love it. Okay, over on page 22, what stands out to you here? I have a picture of uh, Dick Tracy on the wall saying, Our Hero. Our Hero, yes. They do um, feature comic book characters or comic strip characters from everywhere. Uh, There are no sound effects on this page. Right. And I can't remember, does it say if that's intentional or not? That's that interesting. I didn't notice. Oh, yeah. It, do, it is intentional because Nate, um, the Sunk Mariner says, I can't get used to all these collisions and no sound effects. It does. That's right. And I think, that's a, I, I, I think they used sound effects pretty sparingly in the Golden Age. I can't remember if this is true or not, but okay. uh, they, they didn't put them in there. Sound effects really became more of a thing in the, in the 60s. Didn't know that. that that's a very good reference. And I see how the um, human torch is leaning against a wall and burns right through it. Yeah. That's something uh, you don't see in the comics. Totally. Yeah. And then Spider-Man takes a, makes a little cameo at the top. Whoops, wrong strip. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
yeah, there's just little little visual gags all over the place, but nothing I think I really want to point out here. Um, you want to go on to number 23? Sure, sure. In the f- first panel, we see another Goldwater uh, reference. That's right. One of the tanks right. there. And again, the Sunk Mariner easily defeats the human Scorch by just enclosing him in a vial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then we see Chaplin America come into the play here. And uh, in the Marvel universe, he's actually more commonly known as Charlie America. That's right. So they hadn't really determined that at this point. Right. I think, yeah, they're kind of playing this as they go. Yep. I've heard your podcast about the early Thor comics and some of the others, and it sounds like Stan Lee was making it up as he goes. Oh, I think so, for sure. Uh, Let me see. There is an Errol Flynn reference. Where did that go? Oh, in the second to last panel... It says, um, that's why Scorchy was replaced with a teenage hot rodder, and you, Sunky, had your throne usurped by a guy who talks like a refugee from an old Errol Flynn movie. That's right, yeah. And of course, Errol Flynn's most popular role, I think, is as Robin Hood in that's 1938, right. so that Cap always makes his his 1930s jokes. Yeah. Uh, he also has a little tag in this panel that says, if lost, please return to Betsy Ross. Because <laughs> he has a flag-inspired costume. Yes, that's right. And uh, they, of course, they put a lowercase a on his forehead. Yep. Throughout this, and um, Captain or was it Tra- Chaplin, Chaplin America? America. Roddy chops a block of granite, and the sound effect is smack. Do yes. You think that's an Semic joke too. Yes, absolutely. I think that's an Artie Semic joke for sure. Yep. Especially because he was lettering it. That's funny. Ah, right. In this panel, he's also wearing his shield that says "Property of the New York Sanitation Department." <laughs> <laughs> Like a garbage lid, right? Yep, or a sewer, a manhole cover, <laughs> one oh. of the two. could be either. But yeah, they're always making those jokes, too, that sure. uh, Captain America has a garbage can lid. Yeah, on the cover, he actually does have a uh, garbage can lid. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, last page of the story, page 24. Yeah, they're both defeated, Sunk Mariner, and no more show their age, and they go to the superhero retirement home. Right. Can you name all these characters in the superhero Ooh. retirement home? <laughs> I see uh, Archie, yep. Dick Tracy, Charlie Brown, Phantom Stranger, Little Lulu, Batman, Mickey Mouse. King is from what? That's the, that's the Little King. He was a comic strip King. character in the 30s yep. by um, Otto Soglow. That's it. And the Little Orphan Annie is between Tracy and, and Archie. That's right. And of course, the Human Scorch is reading, not Brand Eck. Yep, and, <laughs> and burning it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then there's also another one called the Alice. In the top corner of this panel, there's a building that says the Alice in Wonderland Annex. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a reference to people who are crazy, who have gone mad. And that's oh. kind of, they, they're locking those people up in the, because the whole thing about that, that story is people are always saying, you know, that um, it's, those people were on drugs or, you know, watch that movie when <laughs> you're high. And you know, uh, um, the, there's a lot of hallucinations and. Yeah. Uh, Alice in Wonderland actually w- was uh, re-released. The Disney movie was re-released, and they went all out with the psychedelic poster art to really tie in, like, like really play <laughs> into that, uh, to get the whole stoner crowd to come out and see their movie. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Uh, in the panel before, the middle panel here, Sunk Mariner is in a wheelchair that says "Property of the Gloom Patrol." Uh huh. Yep. Because uh, Doom Patrol came out in 1963. It was pretty new. And mm-hmm. Dr. Niles Calder was the leader of the group. He was in a wheelchair. That's right. So this is Calder's wheelchair. I, I thought to myself, well, why isn't this a reference to X-Men? Yeah, good question. And I think it's because the X-Men hadn't come out yet at this point. Oh, is that right? Because I think they come out in 1967. Mm-hmm. And so they just, 
hadn't. Well, this is 68, isn't it? This is 68. Or maybe they I just think... they weren't popular enough to because they're not in this issue at all. Like they don't make any references to X-Men in the first 3 issues of this oh, book. You're right. Yeah, you're right. The first issue came out August 1967. Yeah, I think that uh if this had come out a year later, that would have been a an Xavier reference rather than yeah. a Gloom Patrol reference. That's true. I think that's all. Oh, yeah, we see the Wizard yeah. of Oz. They're following the Yellow Brick Road to all of the <laughs> Oz characters there. Right. Um, but that's also another reference because that movie came out in 1939. So that's a Captain America Golden Age reference as well. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I think that that kind of sums everything up. Yeah. This was a fun one. I, I enjoyed uh, seeing this this battle with the three characters who are now known as the Invaders. That's right. They are. Yep. Well, let's go on to our last segment of this of, of this issue here. This is called A Day of Blunder, starring Sergeant Furious, Knock Furious, and his uh-huh. hostile commandos. This one's by uh, Gary Friedrich yep. and John Severn, Marie Severn's brother. Right. Who, they did a lot of the um, Sergeant Fury comics, didn't they? I don't know. I, I haven't read a whole lot of Sergeant Fury, so I'm only in the Dick Ayers era. I don't know mm-hmm. how much those guys did, but... Gary was, I think he was kind of just starting out around this time. He would eventually take over the Hulk. Right. What I like about John Severn's work in this issue is that he he actually draws realistically. Does, very realistically. He doesn't pull a Kirby where he takes his own style and totally lampoons it. He stays serious and all of the gags are (laughs) just in what the characters are holding or what's in the backgrounds. That's right. Very straight face. Did you read any uh, Sergeant Fury? I did. I used to read those. There's a lot of characters in that book. Yeah, with a lot of distinct personalities. And so let's see if let's see if we can uh, knock them out of the park here. <laughs> okay. So I think uh, we can start in the top left corner. I love this because Dino Martinelli, his his name in the uh, in the Marvel world is Dino Martini, mm-hmm. and that's definitely a reference to Dean Martin. Right, right. Which Dino Mart- Martinelli in the comics, like in the regular 616 comics, is Dean Martin anyway. Like this, he's obviously a caricature of Dean Martin just in, because mm-hmm. he's the, the leading man. He's the he's a singer. He's an actor. Mm-hmm. And it, just because of his name. And so now they're like, they're just saying, okay, yeah, we know that <laughs> we know that Dean Martin is a <laughs> character. So we're just going to call him Dino Martini and just be very obvious about it. Yeah. And he's got a little thing here, uh, a little sign pinned to him saying, if lost, return to Frank and Mia. Reference to um, Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow, right. who were married at the time and uh, did a lot of stuff with Dean Martin in this time. Right. I like the title. The title is called A Day of Blunder. It has an asterisk. It says, uh, not to be confused with the two gone kids, Hoss. Yeah, right. So back to their <laughs> previous parody, the Western parody. That's right. Okay, under Dino Martini, we have uh, Izzy. This is Izzy Cohen's parody, I think, and they call him Dizzy Coham. Um, you know what? Actually, let's wait till we go to the next page because I think they do a they oh, like a, a little introduction. I think a little introduction in the next page, so uh, it'll make us easier. It'll make it easier to keep track of this. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But this first page is so full of of gags. We see the the iron cross in the background says 1942 surfing champions. <laughs> yes. Okay. That goes your surfing reference again. Yeah, but that's it's they're not a, it's not a surfing emblem until the 1960s. So the fact mm-hmm. that but it but it is a World War II icon. 
So right. often what these people, what soldiers would do would be to hang the insignias of, of the fallen enemies in their quarters, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And so they've okay. obviously taken off this off of a plane or something because you see the bullet hole marks. Right. But they're just also making f- fun of the fact that it's a, it's become a surfing thing. I see. Yep. Uh, there's a Davy Crockett uh, reference. The horn, it has a D Crockett on it. That's it, yeah. Davy Crockett was very popular in the in the 60s. And also Mary Poppins. Those are two Disney properties that were very popular in the 60s. And Mary Poppins, there's a sticker on the umbrella. Right. Because, of course, yeah, Mary Poppins. Yep. Umbrella. Right. That's right. Uh, okay, one final comment. I forgot to mention that Dino Martini is singing Everybody Loves Somebody Sometime. And looking in a mirror. Yeah, exactly. But that's a that's a Dean Martin song. Uh, everyone, everybody loves somebody from 1947. Dean Martin recorded it in 1964, so that that'd be way after this mm-hmm. uh, this comic. That's right. Yeah, or the, way after the World War II. When the story takes place, right? Yep. Okay, let's move on to issue number 26 here. Sergeant Knock Furious enters the scene. Oh, there's right. the combat. Yeah, combat. He's, he has a combat board game. From yeah. Parker Bratz. And I th- I'm pretty sure I tried looking for a board game called Combat. I don't think it actually yeah, exists. Uh, just referring to the TV show. Oh, of course. Yeah, you're probably right. Yep. So I was wondering if it was a real game. Um, and we have a picture of the Hulk saying, our hero. <laughs> right. And I think that's just because the this team of Halloween Commandos is always so tough and macho and, you know, always fighting that the Hulk is there. That's the Hulk, right. Yeah, the Hulk is their mascot here. And I like the way yeah. they... Um, have fun with not furious way of uh, cursing and insulting. Yes. Yeah, they really make fun of how much he smokes and how much he talks and mm-hmm. makes fun of Dum Dum's mother. Yeah, he says, face front, you chicken scratching, gold bricking, gum flapping, flea bitten, pansy picking, <laughs> joy riding, dog legging, punch pulling. Oh, well, you get the picture. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay, and so then we have the rundown of our characters who we always... We always get this rundown in Marvel Comics where they kind of do a little roll call. So, Knock Furious. Uh, and they also point out kind of the thing that they're most famous for. Uh, right. So, Knock Furious, is, he's famous for his cigars. They're always making fun of that throughout this whole book. And look at all the, like the ashtray is full of cigarettes <laughs> in the background. He's got a, a cigar in his mouth and behind his ear, and he's holding <laughs> one. <laughs> exactly. And a no smoking sign behind him. Yep, that's right. Uh, and then the next one, Dum Dum Doolin. And they changed the name from D-U-M to D-O-M-B. So that definitely pointing <laughs> out his, uh, his, his intelligence, I guess. Right. And if you look on his, his insignia, he's, on his hat, he's got a T. I and I, I wasn't sure what that meant, except it's uh, because usually he just has the two, the two stripes. Okay. Which is for corporal. And Sergeant Fury has the three stripes for sergeant. And so by putting a T on there, that's actually a technician, fifth grade. That's the that's what that means. And it's one step below corporal. So it's demoting him a little oh, bit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good search. Yeah. Yeah. I had to Google search all of the insignias <laughs> to find out that one. Uh, okay. And we have next is Rabble Rouser, which is a great parody of Rebel Ro- uh, Ralston. Rebel Ralston. I can't mm, even say yeah. it. It's a tongue twister. Rebel <laughs> Ralston. He's the guy that comes from the south, so they make fun of his mm. accent a lot in this in this comic here. And also, he's a cheater. Uh, <laughs> he's got all these cards here, and that's I think just a, a poke at the fact that he's from the south and the the Civil War kind of uh, uh, tension yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember the way they uh, wrote his southern accent. Yeah, yep. very memorable. 
Next up is the the parody of Izzy Cohen. They call him Dizzy Coham, the Splatbush Splash, and most famous mama's boy since Oedipus. <laughs> yeah, and I think you have to know Oedipus in order to get that joke. That's an ancient Greek right. character who falls in love with his mother. Right. Uh, and actually, I think, actually has a romantic relationship with his mother, right? Like, doesn't just yeah. fall in love, but they actually, like... <laughs> yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, next is Babe Bones, a parody of Gabe Jones. And it says here, this hottest horn, this side of the Lawrence Welk show. And then it says, where do you think they got all the, de- I- the idea for all these bubbles? <laughs> right. And that's Lawrence Welk. His his music was really cheesy. They, he called it champagne music, which is why, which is the bubble, you know, the reference to the bubbles. So it's a far cry from like you know the high jazz of you know True. of the of the day. <laughs> so really <laughs> playing him down as well. And I love also that the showers in the back say cold and colder. Yeah, that sounds like real army life. Yep, I think they're definitely poking fun at that. Um, next one. We've already talked about Dino Martini, and you can see an obvious caricature of Dean Martin in that face there. <laughs> that, yeah, it's a good caricature or portrait of Dean Martin. Uh, and the next character is one that I think people often forget about. Um, Ersatz Krowlink is mm-hmm. a character called Eric Koning, and he only appeared for a little while in Sergeant Fury uh, in this era. He was a, def- um, a defecting Nazi soldier. Uh, he joined the Howling Commandos for a little while here, and then I think he died saving them against Nazis or something like that. Okay, I don't remember him. Eric Koning was played by Patton Oswalt in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh. Yeah. Okay. If you remember his character, but not at all the same character. They just used his name. Uh-huh. And then the last one here, Pinko Finkerton. This is one of the latest recruits in Sergeant Fury. I think he might have just entered the scene around this time. Hmm. Um, I do remember the one with the umbrella. Yes, yeah. I, Pinker, Pinky Pinkerton, and he is French, a French soldier. Right. I guess that's their way of being diverse. They have the southern character, the black character, and the French character, and the Bronx, I guess, for Nick Fury. <laughs> and the Jewish character for Izzy. Ah, right. And the Italian character for Dean Martin. That's true. Yeah, that's something that when we get around to when I get around to talking about Sergeant Fury, talking about the the makeup, the cultural makeup of the team, because they're very interesting choices that Stan mm-hmm. put in on this team here. Uh, okay, and there's one more is a Happy Slam Sawbuck instead of Happy Sam Sawyer, which is uh, Fury's commanding officer. Mm-hmm. He's in this comic as well, and he's on page twenty-seven. Oh no, he's yep. on, on the last panel. That's right of this page. Reading here. a book called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. Yes. <laughs> yeah, perfect for him. And I like that uh, Pinko, who always has the umbrella, has a uh, cloud above him with um, Shazam's lightning bolt, and the cloud says, holy moly. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, you want to move on to page number uh, 27? Yep. So right off the bat in the first panel here, they make a reference to uh, Peyton Place. Right. And now we return to Peyton Place. Uh, I mean, Sergeant <laughs> Furious. Peyton Place was a soap opera in the 60s, in 1964. So there was a, people definitely would have known that at the time. And Sergeant Fury is shaving, uh, and he says, hey, I'm, I'm getting spoiled by these super blades. And that's, I, I, I looked that up because it was like, this is so specific. This has to be a reference to something. There was a razor that uh, in 1967, Gillette Super Stainless razors, they called them the spoiler because Mm. you would feel so spoiled using them because they're so smooth. I see. And he's getting spoiled. He's getting spoiled by these super blades. Yeah. It was like, 
Wow, such a specific reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's always drawn with a uh, scruffy beard, and he says, this is only my fifth shave today. Yep. And in the same panel, there's lots in this one panel here. You can see that Izzy is wearing a, uh, oh no, I guess this is Dean Martin's character, is wearing a hat that says Netics. Mm-hmm. Netics was a fast food chain in New York. It was a, a fast food chain from 1913 to 1981. So people, especially in the New York area, because Marvel's offices were in New York, would definitely know Netix. But I didn't know. I had to look that one up, too. Never heard of it, right? Yep. And then finally, in this one panel, uh, Gabe Jones says, or Babe, Babe Bones says, Hey, ha, man, he means the hit song, That'll Be The Day, or That'll Be D-Day, which is a parody oh. of That'll Be The Day, which was uh, um, Buddy Holly, 1957. Right. And I like that... Uh... Um, Happy is holding a uh, paper that says Topless Secret. Topless kind of Secret, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are a few Playboy jokes uh, throughout this yeah, throughout this thing as well. That was huge back then. Yep. Uh, second panel. We're going to go panel by panel here. Second panel. Um, <laughs> yeah, Pinky uh, or Pinko has a little, uh, um, what is it, a, a sign on his jacket that says IRA. Mm-hmm. I had to look this one up too. It's the Irish Republican Army. That's right. It was formed in World War One by those who refused to enlist in the British Army and who wanted independence when Ireland wanted independence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Happy uh, smoking a pipe. That's and right. And like out pops a can that says, uh, what does it say, Popeye brand spinach? Yep, yep, that's a good gag, Popeye. Okay, so in the th- third panel here, we see a Thor comic sticking out of the top secret oh, cabinet. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if that's just a specific reference to something happening in Thor that it had to be kept secret at the time or if they just wanted to stick in a Marvel comic, but that's there. Yeah. And then in the fourth panel, Dino is singing a bunch of Dean Martin, or these women are singing a bunch of Dean Martin songs. Um, Return to Me from mm-hmm. 1958, That's Amore from 1953, and I'm a, I'm a somebody, I didn't, oh, I forgot to look that one up. Oh, well. <laughs> no, and you can see, let's see, what else is here? I like the um, the building behind them. There's a room called Orderly Room, and there's another one with the sign that says Disorderly Room. Right. Yep. Sign in the grass says Curb Your Dog. <clears throat> Curb Your Dog. And then on the bottom of the boot, it says Made for Walking. That's the Nancy Sinatra song. <laughs> These boots are made for walking. That's, a, that's from 1966. So, again, um, unlike the, the Captain America story, we, or the sorry, the Human Torch Submariner story we just read, that's true. Um, and I wonder if that's because that comic is parodying something that was actually written in the 30s, whereas these comics, the Sergeant Fury comics, took place in the 40s, but they were actually written in the 60s. So they put some 60s gags in here. I don't know. Maybe that's looking into things a little too much. <laughs> anyway, in the last panel here, uh, there's a 12 o'clock high reference, which was a movie starring um, uh, Gregory Peck, but it was also a very popular TV show at the time from 1964 right. to 1967 about bomber pilots. Uh, and, of course, we see Snoopy fighting the Red Baron, which he would do a lot in these days. And I like the bottom of the airplane wing says, this end up. Yeah, right, in case you <laughs> forgot. <laughs> and the airplane has a uh, sign on it saying, leave the driving to us. What is that from? I don't know. Campaign, ad campaign in the 60s? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm sure it was a political one, like, you know, let us steer this ship mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of thing. Maybe. That's what it, it would make sense to me. Uh, and also here they um, mentioned the Forbush Funeral Home. Is that the first mention of Forbush? 
I don't think so. I think that we got one mention of it that we didn't mention um, earlier in one of the other stories. I'd have to go back to look. Um, okay. But yeah, they they Irving Forbush is a character that they kind of invented for this book, I think, right? As far as I know, right? Yeah, he's on the cover. He's the character on the cover of the first issue, the one with the, the pot on his head in, in red long underwear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right on the very first, on the cover, it, it says Forbush Man as well. That's right. Uh, let's see. Okay, if we move on to page 28, this is page four in this story. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Knock Furious says, you can't play lucky dollars at French villain stations. Those are lottery <laughs> lottery tickets. Um which I think is a little gag because Sergeant Fury should probably scratch lottery tickets all the time because he gets out of every single scrape that he's in, <laughs> often just pure dumb luck. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, and the, the plane in the second panel says, made by Aurora Models Incorporated. I like that. Yeah, they were a, a company that made toy plastic model kits, and mostly airplanes, but also like trains and a bunch of other stuff. But uh, this is like the erector set gag where they're saying that the the thing is just a toy that someone <laughs> can play with. <laughs> and then the yep. third panel it says, uh, Rabble Rouser summons all the skill he learned watching old Roy Rogers movies, tossing his rope. Right. So Roy Rogers was no Western uh, yep. movie and TV star. And then he also says, he also says, we done save this a little old plane. I'm a regular Gene Autry. Mm-hmm. And Gene Autry's also a cowboy from the same era. That's right. And they mentioned Hugh Hefner in the same panel. Where is that one? Oh, yeah. I smudged my fold-out pin-up of Hugh Hefner. That's funny because why would <laughs> you want a pin-up of Hugh Hefner? <laughs> right. Yep. Furious and his men stormed ashore, attacking the Germans. They say, wahoo, and one of them says, see Kyle. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the that's the, the German Eric Koning. Mm, right. Uh, and then, yeah, so they say, wahoo. It's like, who? That's right. Instead of their so. normal catchphrases, wahoo. <laughs> and then the Germans at the bottom, they say, Otto, why do their Americaners not fall before our hail of bullets? And the other guy says, because this is an Americaner comic book, <laughs> dump cough. <laughs> exactly. Yep. It's uh, Sergeant Fury is pure American propaganda. That's true. Yep. Yeah. And so that's the, the Americans always win in that one, in that book. And there is a reference also to Papermate hmm. uh, in the very last panel. It says, hey, hey, Ursatz, got a pen? I need to write to my mama. And he says, yeah, I have the Papermate profile trio with the piggyback <laughs> refill. <laughs> yeah. That's the Papermate was the most, I looked this up because it's like, why are they talking about Papermate? They had the most popular pen, believe it or not, in 1960, whenever this was, 1967. Mm-hmm. They had a $2 million ad budget in 1953, which was the wow. biggest ad budget for any marketing campaign at the time. Really? For their pens, yeah. And they, and, and it worked because, you know, they're still kind of the one of the more common, common mm-hmm. pens on the market. <laughs> yeah, everyone's, everyone's got those blue Papermate pens. One of the German soldiers has a Hydra mask on. Right, yeah. I guess it's a preview of things to come, I guess. Yeah, because uh, Hydra was not a thing at this, in World War II. They definitely came out afterwards. But yeah, there's a few times when Hydra is just kind of lurking in the backgrounds of these comics. It's fun fun mm-hmm. to keep an eye out for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to move on to the last page here? Sure. Now, the in the Dean Martin show, this is a funny gag here. Uh, right at the top here. He says, someone's asking him for his autograph. And he says, I thought you'd never ask. Somebody hold the cue card still so I can see how to spell my name. 
<laughs> and I think that's that's an oddly specific reference as well. And I found out that Dean Martin, he, he had his own show, and he would always read all of his lines from a cue card. He never memorized anything. He would just walk onto the set, read his lines, and he refused to do retakes. So if really? he made a mistake and he messed up reading the cue card, he'd just start over and read it again, and they had to leave it in. Oh, wow. Interesting. And so if you watch old episodes of the Dean Martin show, you'll see those, those, out, um, those mistakes. They're, they're, they're in there. Uh, That's a neat way to do it. Yep. Also, another interesting little thing here is in the same panel, Eric Koning's character is saying, Do not shoot. I am one of you. I can even whistle Lily Marlene backwards. Mm. So I had to look up that name or that song. Lily Marlene is a German love song that was popular during World War II because it's a kind of an interesting story. There were a couple of uh, just radio DJs that would broadcast during the war kind of on their own to whoever would listen. Mm-hmm. And that song started getting played and the soldiers would hear it. And, you know, because they're away from their loved ones and such, they would love the song. And so they would they found a way to to contact that guy who was broadcasting the song and told him to play it every night. And so he would, and it became sort of a, a German anthem for German hmm. soldiers in World War II. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And then the next panel they mention, uh, uh, it's time for D-Day. And someone else says, D-Day, you mean Doris Day? Yeah. <laughs> so she was a hugely popular actress at the time. Very popular, yeah. And then they say, would you believe Dennis Day? I don't know who that is. Dennis Day is one of the Mouseketeers from the Mickey Mouse Club. Oh, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which also wasn't around during World War II, but was definitely around when the comic was being written in 67. Uh, right. In that same panel, uh, Nick Fury is holding a gun that says official 007 model. Definitely a reference to Nick Fury's spy days that would be coming up later. Uh, right. And uh, James Bond movies were coming out then. Right. They were very popular. Yeah. The Sean Connery era. That's right. Uh, okay, so this is a... In the next panel... Nick Knock Fury says, this is my laundry boy, Juan Stan Lee. <laughs> That's kind of funny. It is funny because <laughs> Lee is such a, a common Chinese surname. Mm-hmm. And Stan Lee, like I, before I, I'm of Asian descent myself. Oh, and okay. when I first started reading comics and saw Stan Lee's name there, I instantly thought that he was Asian because of that surname. Really? And, yeah, because <laughs> you never see any pictures of him. And and I knew of Jim Lee, of course, uh-huh. because he was very prominent in, through the 90s. And it yeah. wasn't, and then I found out, you know, Stanley's actually a white guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Another Jewish guy. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I, one thing I've noted, uh, especially in the um, uh, Green Hornet uh, parody, yep. you know, um, Green Hornet was on TV at the time or right, a year right. before or something like that. Yep. And the way they drew Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee wasn't famous yet, but they drew him kind of like the guy on this page with yeah. squinty eyes and big teeth. Right. Like a typical Asian caricature. Yeah, that's right. They, they treated the Asians kind of like the way they treated women. Yeah, there was yeah. a lot of that, and that's definitely a sign of the time. Um, yeah. At least they didn't paint his skin yellow in this picture. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yeah, I guess um, Severn was too realistic for that. Yeah. In the next panel, you have an I Like Ike button. Mm-hmm. Definitely another um, Eisenhower reference there, another campaign button. That's the Eisenhower campaign. That was in 1952. Uh, there's also an NRA. I don't know mm-hmm. when the NRA started. I think they were around at this time. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, and there's also a Dick Ayers reference in the third panel. Happy Sam Sawbuck says... Or Slam Sawbuck says, shut up, I'll smile when I feel like it. And he sure don't do your shirts like Dick Ayers did. <laughs> Dick Ayers was the artist 
for Sergeant Fury after Jack yeah. Kirby left the title, and okay. he was fantastic at drawing yeah. clothes. Like he's he just gets all the folds and he tears them up, and uh, he's just a, a great artist. Yeah, I get the joke now. Very good. Yep. One last joke that I found here. Uh, oh, a couple couple jokes actually in this last panel. Slam is holding a peace pipe, a pipe that just mm-hmm. says peace on it. Peace pipes are most notable, you know, Native American icons. Right. He's also missing a bunch of teeth, and he makes a reference to Pepsodent. I can go <laughs> back to my old job as the Pepsodent Smile Boy. Pepsodent, of course, is a brand of toothpaste. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the end of this of this issue. That's right. Now, what I like about this book is and this is you'll never get this in any of the the like the epic collections or the masterworks is you get the 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 table of contents they all of these issues have content pages and they also have a what's next page at the end and you can see that uh uh, yeah it it teases that we're going to see um batman and robin or natman and rotten in the next Mm -hmm. issue as well as a whole bunch of other characters that are going to come up and at the very bottom all of the whole bullpen is saying good night. Good night, Stan. Good night, Roy. Good night, Flo, Marie, Gary, Sol, Artie, Irv, Irvin Forbush. And it also says good night, Chet. Good night, David, which is a reference to NBC uh, news program at the time. Uh. Oh, yeah. It's for the Huntley Brinkley report. Because okay. the two characters there are the two guys who are on the Huntley Brinkley report are Chet Huntley and David Brinkley. And at the end of every single um, episode, they always said, uh, "Good night, Chet. Good night, David, and good night for NBC News." Uh huh. Right. It, it was very, very well known, very popular catchphrase at the time. So they did plan. Yeah, I bit. think so. At this point, the the book was coming out monthly. It was twelve cents, and that format did change later on. What did it change to? It came uh, bi-monthly and bigger, and the price went up. Ah. Now, bi-monthly is usually a sign that book's not doing well, but I wonder if that's just because they increased the page count. Mm, right. Maybe. I don't know. Well, you know what? We've been talking for over an hour and a half, and we only did one issue. So I wonder. <laughs> we could go ahead and do the second issue, or mm-hmm. we can save this for another time. What well, do you think? I don't mind doing it if, if you have the time. Okay, let's head over to issue number two. This is uh, three stories, and all of these stories in this issue feature characters from different comic book companies, which is kind of a cool idea. So the first story we have Peter Pooper, Spidey-Man, facing off against Natman and Rotten. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the second story has um, Ironing Man facing off against Magnet Robot Biter from Gold Key Comics. Uh, are you familiar with Magnus Robot Fighter? No, I had to look that one up. Yeah, he. I've never read an issue of Magnus as well, so I had to. Yeah, I had to do some googling to figure out who these characters were and kind of get some of the jokes. He was a very appropriate team up for Iron Man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then the third story in here is the Blunder Agents, Knock Furious versus the Blunder Agents, which is a takeoff of Thunder Agents from Tower Comics. And I believe Tower Comics is now, I can't remember if they've been absorbed by DC Comics, but I think Thunder is now under the DC banner, Mm -hmm. the Thunder Agents, yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning then and start with Peter Pooper versus Natman and Rotten. If you're following along again, this is page 33 in the complete collection. 
And we get a really good example here, I think, of how this, how how the artists in this book really show how these characters are goofy, or they really kind of. Um, uh, I don't know what's the, what's the word I want. They like devalue them just based on the way they look. That's right. Uh, Spider Man's missing it. Like he's got an open toe in his stocking there in his in his leotard. Uh, but the thing that's really funny is that uh, Batman's or Natman's costume is all baggy. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't fit him. His boots are unbuckled, and he's wearing the shorts and. <laughs> It just looks unkempt, which gives, right. yeah, and, and anybody who, like if you walk into a room and you look at someone wearing a suit and you look at someone wearing just wrinkled clothes, the one that looks more professional is the one that's wearing a nice suit. And so that's what I think what they're kind of trying to get across here is that Natman is not a professional because of the way he looks. <laughs> right. He's actually wearing galoshes yeah. and boxers. And he has bells on his ears and his gloves. I wonder if the bells are put there because of Jingle Bells Batman smells. Hmm. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I don't know if that rhyme dates back this far. I have no idea. Oh, it does. I, I remember that in my childhood in the oh, okay. 60s. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they are trying to trying to, to <laughs> uh, make a reference to that song. Anything you want to say about this splash page? I like the, in the credits where it says um, Stan Lee, Maurice Severin, Frank Giacoa, and Al Cruz Rock, they should have known better. Yeah, they should have known better <laughs> to get involved in this. Yeah. Making fun of themselves in this comic. And take a look at the, the magazine that Spidey is reading. Right. It, uh, <laughs> Defective. Kind of, of all the uh, Bat family. Yep, making fun of how many Bat characters there were at the time. And the uh, Bucky Liz sign on the wall next to Robin. <laughs> right, yeah, because Bucky was definitely dead at this time. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's funny because if you think about it now, now, like years and years later, when we brought Winter Soldier into continuity, Bucky mm-hmm. actually is alive currently That's right. at this time. <laughs> so the sign is right. They didn't know how right they were. Yep. Okay, let's go over to the next page, page 34, the sec- second page of the story. We are introduced to uh, the the Marvel Universe version of JJJ, and what do we call him? They call him J Jawbone Junkton, and he's got um he's got pointy ears, and I'm not sure exactly why they give him pointy ears. It just makes him look does it make him look devilish? I guess. Yes, that makes sense. And then, how about in this uh, in this second panel here? I'm assuming this is Jimmy Olsen. Oh yes. Uh, even though this is a Batman. Parody. I don't know why Jimmy Olsen is, is there, but it sure looks like him with the bow tie. Yeah, I'm sure it is. So he's reporting a um, Spidey-Man sighting to Junkton. Yep. And he says, got to go now. Some nut in a red cape just flew by. <laughs> I guess that's why they have Olsen. Yeah, I guess so. And then he also says, JJ, watch your language. Remember the comics code. <laughs> which, yeah, which was very important back then. It was very important, yeah. They do mention it a lot. Okay, so and in the second, in the what is it? The fourth panel here. JJ is at a diner, and I hope you recognize the guy that's behind the counter there. Oh, is that um from uh, Archie? Yeah, yeah, Pop Tate from Archie. Pop. Right. And then you can see Jughead's signature hat in the next panel, sitting at the booth there. That's right. That's yep. right. And I like how they've named all of the signs in the backgrounds, the specials after Spider-Man. That's um, right. And Spider-Man was huge then. The animated uh, series was on TV, and there was a lot of merchandising. Yep. And that's what's driving uh, J. Jawbone Junkton crazy in this story. And they 
And it was not an uncommon thing also to name your lunch specials after like some popular people. Celebrity. Celebrities. Yeah, exactly. And they still do that today. When I was down at Comic-Con, every surrounding restaurant had its own special menu where they would change the the names of their own meals to include superheroes or something in, That's in it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a little in-joke in the bottom page here, or the bottom panel, where a uh, lizard's jumping out of a manhole, and so is Spider-Man. And Spider-Man says, you were winning for the first 10 pages of the story, so now it's my <laughs> turn. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yep, very typical Stan Lee. Yep, yeah. that's how he wrote. I, I didn't get um, in the uh, sixth panel. Looks like, uh, are they ants crawling out of the manhole cover? Um, I think they're cockroaches. Cockroaches, okay, yeah. They're moving I guess out. that's just New York City. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Also on this page, um, uh, talking about parroting their own um, uh, story formats. Yep. Uh, the lizard says, what are you chasing me for? I didn't do anything. And Spidey says, I know it, lizard, and I know it, but our readers don't know it. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to have a reason for fighting. Yeah, they just we just want to see superhero battles. That's all. Yeah, yep. that's right. That's it. Uh, on the next page, the TV makes another Edsel joke, that's calling right. it um, America's most exclusive automobile. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, Junkton is at home in his uh, uh, easy chair in his nightgown reading. And of course, he's reading "Squashing Spiders for Fun and Profit." Yep, Spider Haters Handbook. But he also has a copy of Peak Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of what kind of person. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, the Simple Bread and Peak Magazine, Mr. June is Spidey. Yeah. <laughs> it draws me even crazier. It is. That's funny. Mr. June. <laughs> and in the following panel, he's wearing his nightgown that says, Bring Back Doc Ock, because I think mm-hmm. Doc Ock was presumed dead. And oh, is that right? At, at this time in Spider-Man. He'd only made like two appearances, two or three appearances at this point, and he was going to come back. He'd come back a few months after this issue, I think. Um, but then also, it says Alfred lives. Right. What was happening in Batman at that time? Well, Alfred was presumed dead at this time, but he wasn't actually dead. He was masquerading as a villain called the Outsider. Uh-huh. Yeah, so that's that was a very... I can't. I don't know how long that story happened, but it was going on at this time. Okay. So they're poking fun at that. Then in the next panel, we are uh, introduced to Commissioner Good Guy instead mm-hmm. of Commissioner Gordon. Uh, definitely a caricature of Neil Hamilton, that play- who played the commissioner in the Adam West series. Right, right. And uh, what was he, a sergeant next to him? Yeah, whoever that, I can't remember who that guy is. Yeah. He says, how come we never holler for the Hulk? <laughs> It'd be interesting if they could cross worlds and holler for another appropriate hero for the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so on the next, the last panel here, we have a picture of the Batmobile, and it's got the jingle bells as well on on it. Yeah, I like the way it's tricked out. It really is. Love the uh, <laughs> the no-rider rims. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Bicycle horn, lunchbox, boxing gloves, and a plunger, of course. Uh, yep. And Airwick, uh, is that an air freshener? Yeah. I think that's air that's fresheners, right? right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got a huge air freshener canister on the <laughs> side there. Yeah, yeah, this is this is good. It, it's great. There's these comics have so little story, which is why we're n- we're not really recapping the story per se, because they're right. really and even if you try to, it's like it just it's so offbeat. 
But the the real point of these is all of the gags that we're talking about. That's right. It's yeah. just an excuse to make jokes. I like the little bit of uh, humor where the Batman pulls up to the curb, knocks over the fire hydrant, and a, a dog that's being walked nearby is flying in the air in the water. Yeah, it's just random stuff like that. It just makes it more fun to, to look at. Yeah. Oh, you're turning the page... Page number four in this story here, uh, there's the the nut in the red cape that Jim yeah. Nielsen was talking about. Is it supposed to be Superman or just a <laughs> random, the way it's colored, it looks like a random generic superhero. Right. I'm sure it's supposed to be. I mean, yeah. at this point, the only guy who was sporting a red cape like that would have been Superman, I think. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, Rotten is holding a protest sign saying, Stamp Out Marble Comics. Like someone mm-hmm. would say, stamp out forest fires or, you know, that, that kind of thing. But <laughs> he wants to stamp out marble. Seems like they could have done more with Robin. I mean, they really went all out in making that man look silly. And Robin's a little kid, but they didn't do anything really unusual with him, the way he's drawn. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. They played him safe. The focus really was yeah. on, on Batman. True. And talking about the wrinkles, um, Spidey is drawn pretty traditionally, mm-hmm. a, a little more humorously, but he has the... Uh, Spent tight spandex costume, so I guess he looks more professional. And I think that's what they're going for. They want the contrast between Marvel Comics and DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, okay, so in this top panel on this page here, Batman and Rotten are climbing up a, a wall on a rope. Like on the TV show, which was airing at the time. Yeah, just like on the TV show. And that was always a... Uh, every time they climbed up the wall, they someone would pop out of one of the windows. It'd be like a guest celebrity making a cameo appearance. And so here's JJ uh, mm-hmm. popping out the window as they're climbing up. Um, let's see here. In the third panel, we have another reference to F. Lee Bailey. That's right. You mentioned that before. Yep. And there's some these slang that Natman says, Okay, Dad, clue us in. And he says, This uh, TV show ratings have been slipping. Right, yeah. Spoke in front of the TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at the very bottom, Rotten is reading an issue of Tales of Suspense. Right, and he says, Captain America's great since Bucky's gone. Yeah, those icky teenage <laughs> sidekicks always make me nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And talk about the you know, contrast between um, Natman and Spidey. Natman is apparently afraid of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. He says, he plays for keeps. <laughs> which he never does <laughs> right he, yeah it's funny um and then but and also i think it's just also showing that batman was also not taken seriously at this time because of the uh-huh. adam west show because of how right. kind of campy that show was True. because batman is always known as the one who strikes fear into the hearts of the people that, that meet him that's right but they're yeah they're going against that this time yeah uh, over on the next page, page number five, we have some references to other DC characters, mm-hmm. Superham, Green Sparrow, and then another reference to the Gloom Patrol. Right. And um, in the third panel, uh, Spidey is reading a book, How to Raise Hobbits. They mentioned uh, Tolkien and Hobbits and Lord of the Rings several times. I think that was huge then, even though it was written in the 50s, right? Yeah, it was, it was big. Uh, and there would be... There would be an animated series or animated movie that That's would right. come out a few a few years later in the seventies. Right, by, by Ralph Bakshi. Yeah, that's right. I didn't get my um in this panel the uh, <clears throat> domed roof of the uh, Natmobile is cracked. They don't mention oh, anything yeah. about. It. <laughs> well, and that's that's just like something that sometimes some pants would be torn and other times it wouldn't be. I think that's uh-huh, just like one right. of those in-panel gags that they wanted to mm, do. I guess so. 
And then the next panel, they make sign of their own stupid signs with a sign that says, stamp out stupid signs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, they're uh, trying to um, trick Spider-Man. Uh, Robin or Rotten kneels down behind him, and that man's about to push him over. And Rotten says, oh, Mort Weinberger, Weenie Burger, would be proud of us. Yeah. And that was a DC publisher, right? Yeah, he was, uh, He was. I think he was known as being sort of an overbearing editor. Mm -hmm. He was the editor for the Superman books. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, he's also holding a book called Make Mine McCullohan. McCullohan? I didn't, yeah, I couldn't quite read it, and I didn't get the reference. Um, Marshall... I had to Google this one up. Marshall McClellan, I think, maybe. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. He's a philosopher in media theory. He wrote a very influential book in 1964 called Understanding Media. And it was the, the, the basic message is that the medium is the message. It isn't what you say. It's how you say it. Oh, okay. okay. And so I feel like that's uh, for comics. Uh, one comics that, especially in this time, that are being sort of talked down to their their kids kids fair and you know there's the whole seduction of the innocent book that was trying to get comics banned and that's right so to just to say that to have spider-man holding something that's saying you know the medium is the message the thing that you're holding in your hands right now the comic is a, a valid form of uh, getting information across that's right that's very appropriate and at this point they were still 12 cents an issue and considered children's entertainment meant to be thrown away yeah uh, we have another reference to the uh, Mary Marvel Marching Society in the bottom here. Spider-Man or Spidey-Man finds a pin on the ground. Yeah, another bit of slapstick comedy after they try to push him over unsuccessfully. Totally. He bends over pick up the pin and, and, uh, and that man falls on top of uh, Rotten. And then uh, Spidey picks up the pin and says, I'll pin it to my lapel. And says, oh boy, I'm not wearing a lapel. <laughs> yeah, in that in that panel also... Robin says, Mom always liked you better anyway. And I was like, that is so random. It has to be a reference. And I looked it up. And oh. it is uh, a reference to a song by the Smothers Brothers. Oh, that came I think I remember. Yeah, Mom always loved you better. Smother Brothers from 1965. And one of the Smother Brothers' names is Dick Smothers. And this is right. Dick Grayson here saying the line. Who was an orphan. Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Totally. Okay. Orphan and an only child. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, turning the page here, we have Spider-Man um, about to face off against Nat-Man. And then Robin's coming up and he's going to sucker punch him with a brick in a boxing glove. And I was like, that's got to be a reference also to like some sort of boxer uh, that was doing this dirty move. But I couldn't mm -hmm. find any reference at, at the time of anybody right. doing that. I, I mean, don't know it, what yeah. Thing. It's been done in the past for sure. That sounds like a uh, Bugs Bunny trick. <laughs> yeah, probably. One more graffiti on the wall here. Foswell lives. I, I did look that up. Yeah? So that refers to Frederick Foswell, the big man, the Spider-Man villain? Right. Okay. Yeah, and he had just died in the comics as well. Ah, so um, these, these jokes are very timely. Yep. Yeah, they're very, very timely. Very specific. One that's uh, one that's really funny is coming up here in the fourth panel, Doctor Octopus and Aunt May. Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Now this is this is funny because eventually they do get married. Right. It, but this is not, but not until 1972. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Doctor Octopus is dead in the comics at the moment. This is actually foreshadowing stuff that would happen in the Spider-Man comics. It really uh, is. Yeah. But here they're making fun of it 
but <laughs> they do it seriously in the comics. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. Right. I like this bit of humor in the panel before that where um, uh, Spidey says, why is my Spidey sense tingling this way? And Rotten's about to hit him with a uh, sledgehammer. Yeah. And that man says, don't worry, it won't tingle much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, in one of the bottom panels, Spidey has a webbing under his arms like he did in the early issues. And oh, there's yeah. a sp- spider hanging down from it. That's right. Yeah, and, and uh, Nat Man eventually gets him with bug spray. <laughs> yes. Nat gas. The Nat gas, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then moving over to the next page, um, you have Robin in the middle of a fight with, of course, Zonk, Wap, Biff, which I'm sure are references to the Adam West show, which always had those huge sound effects pop up in their fight scenes. After the fight, you see the stars and the sound effect letters uh, littering the ground. Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> That's, That's funny. Yeah. Cartoon. Uh, in that fight, Robin's holding working papers. I was like, that's kind of mm-hmm. weird. Why is he holding working papers? Right, I don't get that. Well, working papers, you would need working papers in order to employ a miner. Uh-huh. Uh, right. Just be, in case of, um, you know, danger and injury oh. and that kind of thing, which obviously Robin is facing here. Get smacked in the face, right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if I have a whole lot more to say. Yeah, there's another uh, cultural reference where... Spidey is taking a picture of Natman and Rotten. He says, smile, your own candid camera. Right, yes. That was a very popular show at the time. Yeah. And I like the way um, Spidey's defeated. He uh, shoots his web into the air, <laughs> drives his wing away, but it doesn't attach to anything. And he falls to the sidewalk. That's always a big question. It's like, it just... What happens when you run out of buildings? <laughs> yeah, what happens? Or like, you just miss. Yeah. He never misses. <laughs> Spider-Man never misses. That's right. Uh, and then at the very end here, Batman, or Natman, sorry, says, Justice has triumphed JJ. Spider-Man is definitely DC. <laughs> right. And Stan says, definitely clobbered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like how much they book fun at DC. It's great. That's, that's right. And then Junkton offers Natman a no prize. Yes, a no prize. I didn't even realize no prizes were a thing all the way back in 1967, but they, yeah, yeah. they are. That's right. And then the very last page of this story here, J.J. finds out that instead of Spidey-Man being so popular now, Nat-Man has taken over to the town as popular. Uh, we see a parody of the of the Penguin. They call him the Pelican. Right. And Nat-Man says, even though, let's see, he says, you won't get away from me, Pelican, even though you've gotten away from me the last 600 times we met. <laughs> yes. I like the lizard reference, yeah. Definitely. And Batman's been around for a lot longer than Spider-Man has, so they've run mm-hmm. in many, many times. And uh, Miss Brunt is a parody of Betty Brant, and she's wearing a Natman and Rotten fan club <laughs> shirt. And, yeah, in the last panel here, we see Peter Parker, Gwen Stacy, and Mary Jane, and they look very, very much like Romita drawings. Oh, that's true, it does. So, we, yeah, he's happy as ever, and uh, Junkton is looking for Spidey so it can beat up Natman, who's in all the news and <laughs> yep. everywhere. But Spidey's thrown away his costume. You can see it in the trash. Which is in the trash, right? And who do you think that is uh, picking it up? I, I, I don't like, know. Looks like a very specific face. Yeah, it does, but I couldn't figure out who that was. Yeah, but uh, Spider-Man's costume in the trash definitely alludes to uh, Spider-Man number fifty. Mm. Yeah, it looks like it. 
Wow. Okay. What did you think of that story? Did you like it? It was very fun. I like the way they uh, made fun of Natman and Rotten. And they do it uh, not in a mean, insulting way. I think it's gentle um, humor. Yep. That, uh, you know, a lot of these artists and writers work for both companies. So uh, I don't think they'll be too mean to DC. No, I think DC and Marvel at this time had a had a pretty fun rivalry. It was just kind of gentle ribbing back and forth. Uh, it's mm-hmm. gotten a lot more serious over the years to the point where they don't they don't really make fun of each other at all because mm-hmm. uh, you know that's just uh, not seen as professional. Right. <laughs> so, so it's, and that's and that's kind of too bad, but that's kind of the way it is. Okay, I think we should move on to the next story here: the unshrinkable Iron Man. No, sorry, the unrinsable Iron Man mm-hmm. meets Magnet Robot Biter. <laughs> yeah. And I did have to look this up. So um, this is a creation of uh, Russ Manning. Yep. He used to do the Tarzan comic strip. And it was a gold key comic. And it was set in the year 4000, which this story is set in. Right. And he was a superhero who fought evil robots. And it was quite popular. It debuted in 1963. So just a few years before this comic came out. And it, uh, yeah, it did really well. Um, and I think Magnus, or yeah, Magnus has been published over the years by pretty much every comic company except for Marvel and DC. Like it's, the the license has gone through, mm-hmm. like Dark Horse and Image and Valiant and whatever, like all over the place. This one's drawn by Don Heck, mm-hmm. and I love seeing Don Heck take on a little bit more uh, funny tone. He plays it pretty straight though. He does play it straight, but then he adds in the gags every once in a while to to make it look funny. Like he'll give Iron Man a funny face or something. Yeah, like you said, um this uh, issue does a lot of uh, tweaking of costumes and they have a lot of fun with Iron Man. Yeah, just placing the the helicopter propeller on yes. his on his head to to make it look like a beanie just makes him look childish. And his nose is a screw. Yep, yep. And his uh, the circle on his chest is constantly changing every panel. Right. Yeah, those are funny if you keep a lookout for those funny jokes. What is it? They keep joking about um, Magnut uh, gnashing his teeth, and he bites uh, Iron Man in one panel. Do you know what that's all about? I think that's just to you do the play on words. Instead of robot fighter, he's robot biter. Oh, okay. I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably all it is. Okay. Um, but because I don't, I mean, I don't know enough about the character. It's not like one of the superpowers. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> it seems like a normal guy, basically. Yeah. Well, let's move on to page 42 here, uh, the second page of the story, because uh, I want to point out that they make a Tarzan reference right off the bat. That's right. And you mentioned already that uh, Russ Manning was the artist for both Tarzan and Magnus. Mm-hmm. So, and they do this a couple of times through this book and make Tarzan references. Right. With Magnus and another character beating their chest. Yeah, that's right. And then we meet a couple of characters in the second panel here. Nita Brain <laughs> is a parody of Leja Klein, who is, I think, the... Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like either of those could be the Marble Universe names. They just both sound ridiculous. That's true. And then Senator Brain is her father. And let's see, another cultural reference. Um, one of the robots has Body by Fisher printed on the, on the side. And that was a company that made automobile bodies. Yeah, there's lots of reference to these guys being cars. Like the, the purple robot in the mm-hmm. first panel says, come on, it's time for our three uh, 30,000 mile checkup. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Oh, and also, I think they're referred to as Hertz. They do. They Where, do. Where's uh-huh. that reference? Oh, on the tree. 
prefabricated tree, property of Hertz like, Rent a Forest. So that's not a reference to the robots, but Hertz is a rent a car company. Right. And then there's a sign below. It's, well, it says um, property of Hertz Rent a Forest. We're number one. And then there's a second sign that says, but we try harder, number two. And yeah. the slogan of Avis Rent-A-Car. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I didn't. That's good. That's good. So we can move on to the page three. Yeah. Um, right at the top, we meet our hero for this one, Boney Stark. And he's with a, a girl named Love of Money. And I don't think that this girl is a parody of anybody in particular in the comics. Right. I don't think so. But we also have this guy named Investigator McBird, and he says, let's get down to cases. McBird, you've been investigating me for 75 issues now, and I want it stopped. And there was a character at this time in Tales of Suspense called Senator Bird, Senator Harrington Bird, who okay. was investigating um, Tony Stark because he I, – I can't remember what is happening in the story. He didn't believe him on something, thought he was suspicious, so was looking into him. Um, so, And I don't know if McBird – is a reference to anything bigger. Mm, right. I don't remember any other character like that. Because th he, this guy gets attacked by um, protesters in the next panel. Right. And it right. seems like a very specific um, specific event or a, a gag of some sort. So I wonder if McBird is a politician of some sort hmm. that they're combining and you know making a reference to something that's happening in the day. If any of you listeners know what this is a reference to, then mm -hmm. yeah, write in and let us know. Comment, comment this on very, Facebook. This was very symbolic of the times. The protesters holding a sign saying down with violence as she whacks him on the head with a sign. Right, yeah. And she says, that's for your bourgeois reactionary lies. So this sounds like a lot of the hippie protests yeah. back then. And they, they play um, Bony Stark as kind of a, I don't know, Scrooge McDuck, Daddy Warbucks kind of character. Yep, totally. The door says, um, keep out except for the rich people. <laughs> <laughs> um they just, just make him like a overly rich, uh, narcissistic, uh, only interested in money kind of guy. Yep. He's mad calls Jackie Gleason won't sell him out Miami Beach. Yeah, do you know what that's a reference to? Right. Well, um, did Jack, Jackie Gleason own most of Miami Beach? Well, did he did he sell it to Disney? <laughs> I, I, no, I don't think so. He, but okay. he, the the glassy, the Jackie Gleason show was shot uh, at the Miami Beach Auditorium. Oh, okay. Which I think he owned the that that auditorium. So if you're saying that he owned Miami Beach, I think they might be referencing that that he owned okay. Miami Beach Auditorium. Uh, it's now called the Fillmore Miami Beach. Uh -huh. uh, and it's like an I think it's like a nightclub now. But they did a lot of like variety shows and stuff there. Okay. Back in the day. Yeah. And uh he's ready to suit up in his armor and it's hidden in a trash can. Yep. <laughs> There's a sign on the trash can says, Hiding place for superhero suit. Bad guys don't look. Don't look. <laughs> and uh Toto from the Wizard of Oz is hiding behind the trash can. Yes, and I wonder if that's a reference just making fun of Iron Man as like the Tin Man. Okay, okay, that does make sense. Uh, okay, if we want to move on to page 44, which is page mm -hmm. four of this story here, we get a bunch of Marvel parody names in this first one. I think it says, for years I've invented things for everybody in Marvel Comics, for mm -hmm. Sheesh, which we haven't met Sheesh yet, have we? That's coming up in the next story, I think. That's true, that's right. And for the Revengers, which is funny now because they make the, a Revengers joke in Thor Ragnarok. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then not to mention helping, helping Honest Irv with his homework, another mention of Irving Forbush. Right. 
on his mask, on his helmet, it says Aurora Models, Inc. Yep, we had that joke already. Yep. And then we have to have something where we can get Iron Man to the year 4000, so he invents himself a time machine. Um, oh, he also mentions a couple of villains, the the Mandolin and the Smelter. <laughs> I like Mandolin, that's good. Yep. It's easier to say than Mandarin. And then he has, an, um, let's see, a reference to Gilligan's Island, which was really popular at the time. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he blasts off and gets stuck in the year 4000. It says, and so, 4,000 years and one comic book coincidence later. <laughs> there were a lot of coincidences in comic stories. Yes. Um, and I like the chest plate gag in the last panel here that yeah, says, yep, that he's a washing machine. <laughs> With wash, dry, and permanent press buttons. Yes. Yeah. And, of course, uh, Magnut thinks Iron Man is an evil robot. Yep. And why wouldn't you? Because all robots are bad. That, that right. was the point of the comic was um, he that that uh, there was a fear that robots were taking over society. They were supposed to be used as aids to help, but they've actually they're actually going to um, rule humans, rule over humans and stuff. So Magnus is is out to stop them all, which is which is the purpose of that comic. Right here, they uh, imply that robots are making people soft. Right, kind of in the movie Wall-E. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so if we want to move over to page 45. Mm-hmm. We see the smack sound effect again. Yeah. I didn't realize how often that was used until you mentioned it. That's right. Now, I and I don't think it's used in regular comics. I've, no. I'm going to have to keep my eye out for that, but I've never even <laughs> seen right. that before now. Yeah, it's kind of like the Wilhelm scream. Yeah, right. <laughs> Once you hear it, it's, you, you notice it everywhere. That's right. Yep. Uh, Iron Man has Yogi Bear on his chest plate showing that he is now a TV set. And Yogi Bear, um, he Yogi Bear had been around for quite a few years at this point since the fifties. So that's, uh, but he was still popular. Hanna Barbera cartoons in general were very popular through the sixties. Mm, true, and I like that uh, as he attacks uh, Magnut, he's Iron Man says, "Now I'll use my master weapon, my only one that ever works the same way twice." Yeah, <laughs> and that's got to be a a reference to the fact that in every issue, Iron Man pulls out another thing in his. In his his outfit that he will use once in that one story, but never That's ever right. again. <laughs> There's one story where, uh, and I can't remember what it is. He pulls out some crazy device that ends up saving the world, and in the very next issue, the same problem comes up, and he could have used that device again, but he doesn't. Right. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> all to serve the story. Yep, that's right. <laughs> and his repulsive way turns out to be essence of skunk. Essence of skunk, yeah. <laughs> repulsive rays. <laughs> and of course, Magnet takes a bite out of him. He yeah. Has a chunk taken out of his arm. Uh, and uh, let me see here. And he makes the reference to Hapless Hogan, which is oh, yeah. one of the side characters in Iron Man at the time, Happy yep. Hogan. Yeah. And Iron Man ducks into a warehouse. And here's more of the Jewish humor. It says, uh, for rent for bar mitzvahs and superhero fights, inquire within. Right, yeah. And, and it's funny, they say, um, he says the inside of the warehouse is full of uh, mechanical doodads and robots, and Iron Man says, it looks like Jack Kirby's closet. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and it does, it does. Yeah. John Heck did his best Jack Kirby in, on these designs here. Mm-hmm. Okay, turning the page to uh, page 46, we see the Tin Man in the second panel, made that's in right. Oz. That's the second Wizard of Oz reference in this in this story, but we also had that other Wizard of Oz reference in the the, the first issue, so they're making good use of that. Mm-hmm. 
And there's uh, more 60s lingo. Iron Man says, I better make like a seam and split. <laughs> yeah, right. And he sees uh, Need a Brain and goes, va, 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 boom. Yep, and his head explodes. And you don't hear that anymore. No, and uh, <laughs> it, and it's funny because it's like there's a, the, the panel before that, Iron Man's chest plate looks like it's a uh, slot machine. Right. And it's spinning around, and he's getting hot under the collar just because he sees the girl. And then, yeah. bingo, <laughs> the <laughs> slot machine. Yep, that's, so it's a good a good two-panel gag there. It is. Uh, on Let's see, where are we? So the second um, Huntley-Brinkley report that I mentioned in the first issue, the, that gag is right. in the bottom panel here where, he, where Iron Man, his chest is saying, good night, Chet, good night, Dave. Uh, yep. And I think that's all I have for this page. Um, the the robot A1 sauce. Yeah, yeah. And then here's more of the uh, it's a combination of Jewish and Nazi humor. Uh, A1 sauce says, Oy vey, vasi stas. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that's funny. Um, and the armored man um, <laughs> says, follow me into this panel and I'll show you how I got here. It shows him the time machine. Oh, right. It's on the next page, yeah. Yeah, and he plugs it in and... Uh, and then Iron Man gets zapped back to his normal time, and we see a, a globe, and it says, there's a Howard Johnson motor in near you, <laughs> and we see all of the stars on the maps indicating where all of the Howard Johnsons are. Every state. <laughs> Every yeah. single state. Uh, and then it also says, here be dragons, and here be dragons is a common thing that people would write in medieval times on maps during areas of water or sea that were either unexplored or potential dangers like there were lots of typhoons or you know that kind of stuff right and then at the end both bony stark and magnut decide to just relax and let the robots do what they will then they're okay with being pampered yeah and i think they're sitting in the exact same spot just four thousand mm-hmm. years apart that's right yep and so in one panel there's ants taking away food from their picnic basket and in the in the, <laughs> in the future it's robot ants taking away robot <laughs> parts nice touch uh yeah this one was okay i think that i would enjoy this story better if i knew more about magnus True. robot yeah. fighter i agree um but the the iron man parts were funny it's fun seeing what they do with iron man yeah, yeah. okay our final issue or sorry our final story for this issue is blunder agents the, the full title is Knock Furious Agents of Sheesh, Secret Hang-Up for Evil Emissaries of satana- Satanical Hyde and Jekylls. Ooh, that's uh, a Takes on the <laughs> Blunder Agents. <laughs> <laughs> this splash page is like, I think it earns the award for most hidden puns. Yeah, right? All in the background there in, in dark blue. So you kind of yeah. have to really look for them. But and not uh, shoes have compartments for all his everything he needs: youth pills, uh, extra eye patch, cigars. Yep. And then what, what else is here? Bless our crowded panels. Yeah, <laughs> which is I think there is it's a cross stitch little or macrame or something like that. Something that you would find in your grandma's house that said uh-huh. "Bless our messy house" or That's something. True. Yeah. Exactly. So this is by Harry Friedrich and Mary Marie Severn. Yep. She does her usual excellent job, and they make fun of uh, Furious cussing with a cuss box, and Dum Dum is reading uh, do's and don'ts of the comics code. Yeah. Um, did you say who's holding the cuss box? Um, they mention his up. name a little bit later on. Um, oh, yeah? I can't remember what his mar- Marvel name is. I'll come, we'll come to that in a little bit, but he's uh, Agent Sitwell. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, Agent Sitwell, who is 
quite a he was a, a regular um, supporting cast during this yeah. time for Shield. And who was this saying? Um, I told him not to use a DC current. Uh, I think that's Gabe Jones. Okay. Who uh, came over from the the Sergeant Fury book and joined Shield as wow. well in those days? So we have Gabe Jones, Dum Dum Dugan, and Agent Sitwell, Jasper Sitwell. I see. Uh, and that kind of made up the most of his uh, regular cast at the time. Yeah. Uh, that we make. There's a reference to Jim Steranko up in the top. Uh, I like that word balloon or uh, narration box. He says he doesn't like to have his art covered by word balloons. Yeah, and I think that was probably an actual issue that he faced. Um, I think he would get mad at that, but I can't remember. I think I read something about that. Yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Especially when you have someone like Stan or Roy Thomas who put in (laughs) so many speech balloons. like like, They they were heavy on dialogue. That's right. And yeah, Serenko took great pride in this detail. Yeah. Uh, okay, and let's see. So, Blunder Agents is a parody of Thunder Agents, and Thunder Agents came out in 1965, so it was just a couple years before this. Thunder stood for Higher United Nations Defense Enforcement Reserves, and Blunder, let me see, where did it say that? Yeah, I see it. Bedraggled League of UV <laughs> Nations Defenseless Encroachment Reserves. That's the stretch <laughs> Yes, definitely Not a stretch. as bad as sheesh, but that's, that's, that's a stretch. Yep. And then they also have a joke about, on this first page, about, uh, where did it go? DC Current. Yet yeah, Gabe Jones says, Old Knock, referring to Nick Fury, will never learn. I told him not to use DC Current for his razor. Um, I think that's also a joke for DC Comics. Gotta be, yeah. Yep. Okay, moving on to page two, or page 49 of the collection. Uh, Nick Fury at the top here, his eye patch has slipped. Uh, so it's on his forehead, and you can clearly see both of his eyes are fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but he also says that um, the accident was some kind of Bydra sabotage, reference to Hydra. Yeah, and they said he should have used a razor with magnetic coating, and he says he was afraid it would have been uh, Weed Richards, Mr. Fantastical. Um, the plastic coating might turn out to be Mr. Fantastical, right? <laughs> Um, in this one, Gary Friedrich uses, uh, he does a good job keeping up with Nock Furious's kind of Nick Fury speech. Mm-hmm. He says gold slicks. Shut up, you gold slicks, because uh, he always <laughs> said gold bricks. He always called his soldiers sure. gold bricks. But he calls them gold slicks, gold nicks, gold tricks. He changes mm-hmm. it up throughout this this story here. And in this middle panel, where there's this blimp, a shield, the shield blimp, I guess, um, <laughs> Very cool stuff. Lots of little references here. Yep. They have Snoopy on his doghouse flying. Yep. And we see Thor and Wonder Woman in like smashed up against the side of the blimp. And in the mm-hmm. top corner is King Kirby. Ah, that's what that is. Yep. With the cigar. Yep. Yep. Have no fear. King Kirby is near. And I don't know if that persona or if that character is used anywhere else, but it would be kind I've of a cool idea. That. Yeah. Yeah. And there's uh, the Flash as well in midair. Uh, where is that? Oh, yeah, right, of course. Yeah. And then Tarzan is on the wing of the blimp, and he's saying, hey, hey, I'm a monkey. The people say I'm monkey around. Yeah. That's the monkey's theme song. Yeah. Um, and then at the down at the bottom here in the bottom corner, 
Nocturia says, You see, I told you we had nothing to worry about. Old soldiers never die, at least not when they're in comic books. Now let's <laughs> hear it for sheesh, you gold tricks. And then they all start singing the Merry Marvel Marching Society theme song. Right. <laughs> so if you haven't heard that, go on YouTube and look up the Merry Marvel Marching Society. It is a great 1960s theme song right up there with like all of those other uh, superhero theme songs from the 60s. And there's a Hydra guy hidden in the corner again in the burning wreckage of the blimp. That's right. And there's one up in the second panel as well. Ah, yep, yep. Uh, Shall we move on to the next page? Mm Mm-hmm. So on page 50, right at the very beginning here, uh, there's a six-panel sequence where they're trying to get into their secret headquarters. They're at a a soda shop, and all of the seats are going up and down. The guy can't find the right combination of levers to make sure that they all go down at the same time. Now, I don't know if you remember, but um, she in S.H.I.E.L.D. comics, right, at this point, the way to get into the secret headquarters was actually a barber shop. Nick Fury would sit in a barber chair, and the barber chair would go down uh, into a secret base. And here's the soda shop, and the soda jerk has to push the right flavors. Says, I meant to push pistachio. Yep. The left stool was a peach or is it lemon? So it's a different flavor for each stool. And the old woman in the flower dress? <laughs> Turns out to be a Hydra agent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also a re- another reference to Howard Johnson's in the first panel. It says, mm-hmm. Howard's, not Lyndon's. Mm-hmm. Again, Lyndon Johnson was president at the time. So in the last panel on this page, it says, you got a, you got about 10 seconds to ante up and no more Marvel trading stamps. Mm-hmm. And do you remember those Marvel trading stamps from the oh, comics? Oh, yeah. I made, I made them. I was so young. I made the mistake of actually cutting them out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then we're introduced to our very first member of the Blunder Agents. This is Dinah Schmo. (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, So should we go on to number page four? Yeah. Page page 51. Uh, In this one at the top here, uh, Dinah Schmo is wearing a Fruit of the Loom onesie. (laughs) He says, sorry about that, but when you have to run around in blue underwear all day, you got to do something to prove you're a man. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Apparently, he's the landlord of the Sheesh headquarters. Uh, The guy he's picking up? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Yeah, I wonder who that's supposed to be. Yeah, I don't know. They don't show his face. That's right. I can't imagine. And I wonder if that's a reference to some spy show where you never see the face of the guy in charge. Oh, okay. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, in the first panel, we also meet the second of the Blunder agents, a guy named Nobody, I think. Is that who that is? I'm not certain. I'm not familiar with them. There was you a... It's easy being a Nobody. Yeah. There's a character on in the Thunder agents called No One, and I think this guy is uh, Nobody. Okay. I think that's what okay. it is. I love the, the, the jab at kind of Starenko poses on, uh, in the fourth panel. Nick Fury's holding a grenade. And he's got this really mm. awkward pose. <laughs> it's like it is. Yes, it is. Something that Nick, uh, that Jim Steranko would do. Okay. But he'd make it look really cool. <laughs> That's true. He would. Yeah, because Jim Steranko, he played with dynamic um, positions and a little bit, like, went uh, a little bit on the extreme side with his body proportions and anatomy. He'd always make right. it look good, though. Panel layouts. I remember, um, what was it, a Batman or Dead Man comic where it had uh, Neil Adams drew, like, vapor trails. And if you held the page at a certain angle, it said, hey, a Steranko effect. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Okay, in the in the second to last panel. Oh, yeah, so in the in the third panel, Dinah Schmo's uh, outfit says nifty 90s. 
Uh, and then in the the uh, fifth panel, it says Coratron needs no pressing. So all mm. of these are making fun of his, his the the fabric, whether it's underwear or whether it's fancy fabric oh. that is permanent press. Okay. Yeah. I can. I think we can move on to the next page. Okay. Okay. Here's a here's an odd reference right here, very specific to the time. Um, Agent Sitwell says special sheesh communique. Cockroach expected to strike. Keep calm, be prepared, and keep the faith, baby. So specific. So I looked that up, and the the phrase, keep the faith, baby, was said by Adam Clayton Powell Jr., the first African-American to be elected to Congress. Oh, okay. And he was uh, under investigation in 1967, and when, uh, when addressing the news about this, he encouraged everybody to keep the faith, baby. So it was a phrase that I think would have been well known at the time, but is very, very obscure and dated now. That's right. I didn't get that. I, yeah. I think I'd heard before, but yeah, I didn't know where it came from. Okay, so Cockroach. The villain of this story is Cockroach. And Cockroach is a parody of Spider, who is the main bad guy organization for the Blunder Age for the Thunder Agents. Okay. Um, but this one's a little bit different because while Spider is an organization, it's also an acronym like Thunder and like Shield. Um, it stands for Secret People's International D- Directorate for Extra Legal Revenue, and they. Uh, but in this one, it's cockroach is just made up of a bunch of cockroaches that form to make a, a giant villain. Mm-hmm. And here we're, we are met with this guy in the in the the blue and the orange is. Nobody. Right. That's the other Thunder agent that we're that we have here. Okay. Oh, and here we go. In the third panel, Gabe Jones's character says, Look under Spitwell's hat. So Agent Sitwell is called Agent Spitwell. <laughs> and he's been eaten by cockroaches. Yes, he has. <laughs> no, he well he they think he has, and the next one is like, No, I'm over here behind the behind the wall. <laughs> I don't have any clothes. <laughs> what does he say? I'm I'm wearing a shock pink epidermis. A shocking pink mm. epidermis. Uh, I think that's a bit here. Uh, in the last panel, Nick Fury is drawn in another kind of Jim Stranko-ish kind of pose. Right. Played up for gags. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like Cockroach has manifested himself into a human form. He's wearing a C around his neck on, on a chain. And the C, I'm sure it well it stands for Captain Cockroach. But it sure it looks like the font for Cracked Magazine. Oh, wow. I <laughs> didn't think about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I, and I wonder if it's a reference to that. It could be. Maybe not. Not sure. Yeah. Should be. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on to page six. This is page 53. There is a reference here to Lou Groza in the one, two, three, four, fifth panel here. It says, you're going to get a real boot out of my Lou Groza athlete's foot remover treated shoe. If you I don't know who that's. Yeah, you have to be a football fan to know that wow. reference. He played on the Cleveland Browns at this time. He was a place kicker. His nick- nickname was the Toe, and he set uh, many records for for distance and for I don't know football records. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> a football fan, but that's that's because Nick Fury's giving all of those those bad guys the boot. Yep, appropriate. Yep. Otherwise, we have uh, not too many cultural references, but we got a good safe gag, which I'm glad we see that in a slapstick book like this. It's good to have a... Yep. Got to have a safe gag. (laughs) Of course, they miss. Knock Fear says Butterfingers. Oh, yeah. But it lands on... It lands on nobody. (laughs) 
But nobody's powers is to regenerate his own body or create copies right. of himself, so he's okay. Yeah. I think he's like a multiple man type character. Right. Yeah, it seems like it. And then we can move on to page 54. Uh, Nick Fury knits. Uh, he, he unravels his socks. They're woven from the wool of a lamb that got <laughs> bitten by a radioactive moth. And he knits it into a machine gun <laughs> or something. Yeah, that's bizarre. Isn't it? An ultimate weapon. So, and I like that. It's just like that's the the Two shield the type. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's also the ridiculous shield type or James Bond type weapons that that get created. Right. Out yes. of nothing. Yep, out of nothing. And then in the fourth panel, the big explosion. He screams "Wahoo!" Which I don't think he screams at all in Agents of Shield. In Agent of Shield. But that's his catchphrase hmm. when he in Sergeant Fury. Yeah. Does he call his men Yahoos? Uh, I think maybe he does. Yeah, well, maybe it comes from that. I don't know. And then after the explosion, everybody's happy. Um, but then the landlord says that he's rented out the office to somebody else. Yeah. And they're like, who? We're going to take care of them. So they break down the door of the office to find two guys named Eel and Mr. So Low. <laughs> Uh, and this is a; those are references and a pretty good caricature of the two yeah. main characters, Ilya Kuryakin and Napoleon Solo from The Man from Uncle. Right. So that's and they're obviously sticking that in there because Uncle is also an acronym name. They're sticking as many acronym names in there as they can. And I like the way they make fun of uh, throughout the uh, Not Brand Eck stories with Not Furious how he always manages to lose his shirt in the story. <laughs> yes, that's right. So, did you like this one? Yeah, it was. It was good. I um, I didn't know the you know out of Marvel universe characters, so um, it made it a little bit more difficult to read. But I enjoyed uh, the parodies of all the characters and all the artwork. Out of the out of the stories that we talked about in this episode, what which one is your favorite? Oh, uh, um, let's see. Might have been the first because I really like seeing Jack Kirby uh, do humor. And the way they made fun, fun of the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom. Yeah, that one was good. Uh, I think it might be a toss-up between that one and the the Spider-Man versus Nat-Man story. Yeah, I really good. like, too. Yeah. But they all have their charm to them. I, I really also like seeing Marie Severin's artwork. And, um, mm-hmm. like It's just there's an amazing group of artists in just these two issues. True. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of neat to see, and like I said before, I really just like digging into the the research and, and finding out about the pop culture references. I learned a lot. You do learn reading a lot. these <laughs> reading these comics, um, and it's so different reading them in a collection like this rather than reading them when they're a backup feature in an in an epic collection. Yeah, that's right. Because when you jump from the seriousness of the ep- epics from the the, the regular oh. stories. And then jarring. it's very jarring. And so it's, it seems out of place. But when you pick up a book that is purely comedic and you sit down to read it, I'm assuming that you're going to read it because you're in the mood to read something funny. Right. And you, just, you just approach it in a different way. True. So for those of you out there, if you have made it this far into the episode and you've listened to us talk about all these references, and I would like to know what are your thoughts on not brand Eck in general. Did you like it? Did it? Did us talking about it change your mind about this comic? Uh, do you see it in a in a with a new appreciation? I would like to. I'd like to know. So if you can let us know in the comments on our Facebook post or uh, or send me a message to epicmarvelpodcast at gmail.com, 
Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And I think we got to cap it at this, at, at only two issues. We wanted to get through three in this episode, but we're already kind of approaching the, the hour, the two and a half hour mark. So I don't really want to go any further than this. We'll have to make this a multi-episode series where we're going through all of the all of the not brand ec- issues, all all thirteen of them. I don't know if we need to cover the the modern day fourteenth issue unless you really want to. Yeah, yeah, it, it left me flat. Really, I okay. didn't enjoy that one. <laughs> Cool. Well, thanks, Greg, for joining me on this episode. I I uh, hope you had a good time. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. It certainly was fun. I learned a lot. And uh, we hope to see everybody uh, in the next episode. And uh, and we'll see you, Greg, when you join us for round two of Not Brand Eck. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>